Alrighty, so um, I'll have to persevere with the dogs in the background. It's going to be going to be up there with Sam's cow attacks, I suppose. No, it's not. Nothing's going to be that bad. <laughs> oh, it's going to be painful. All right, hello lads, how are you? Uh, Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, top of the um, morning, and all of that. Uh, how are we all keeping? Good. Not bad. Good. Not bad. Good. Yep. Oh, Almost of the end of the holidays. Men, men so. of many words, I see. All right. So, uh, again, we're, we're live on Facebook. Thanks to the guys tuning in. Please share, like, let people know what's going on. Otherwise, um, you know, we need need people to know about the new new home for the show. Um, I kind of figured that um, considering we're really talking about Precision Rifle 99.9% of the time, the, the more appropriate home was probably Precision Shooter, and really this is the extension of the Trigonometry Show. Really, it's just the live live version of it, I guess, so this will be the new home for it. Um, and uh, Blair, I'm, I'm slowly, you might notice I'm slowly catching up on the podcasts. I'm slowly getting there. I have noticed. I've been downloading. Yep. So um, I, was, I had um, a guy actually turn up who... It's an interesting conversation, maybe side conversation to have at some point, Graham. Um, but he, he doesn't have Facebook, right? So he wants to get along with shoots, wants to get involved, wants to check this all out. But he's like, but I don't have Facebook. So I'm like, well, you know, we can do through the site to notify you about the stuff, but you still might need a Facebook account just to try and get some tickets for it, I suppose. So that's how it is. All those people that don't want to do Facebook just sign on, sign on as an alias and some random email address and... You don't have to do anything to get notifications, unless it's there. Well, yeah. in all honesty, it's up to you whether you use it or check it for anything else as well. So just don't like any other pages apart from the one you want and don't have any friends, and then you'll get pretty minimal notifications. Yeah. Yep. Evening, Sean. Thank you for joining us. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, hang on. Let's just, so it's... Um, been a couple of weeks uh let's do a, a round table i'm i'm gonna go circular from the guys i'm looking at blair what have you been up to for the last couple of weeks um last couple of weeks just got back from a um a bit of a hunt a bit of meat hunt up at um uh, sparrowhawk we went up there and stayed there for four nights i suppose got got a bit moist and uh got a few animals they had a made a bit of a um wallaby shoot and stuff and it was a good good bloke guy Good group of blokes and stuff there, and um, I think getting any uh, target shooting that we'd hope to do, but it was it was good. Mister yeah. Whip. Well, there you go. My space button doesn't work either now, so I have to do it this way. It's all good. Um, Graham, yourself. <laughs> uh, uh, quiet holiday. <laughs> staying at home for once. Something's gone wrong. No, this is, yep. Yeah, no, I'm just being it. a smart ass. That's fine. Carry on. <laughs> I'm not sure what you're all laughing about. Um, yeah, just normal stuff for me. Uh, what matter? What's going on? I'm confused. No, it, does, it do, really doesn't matter. Have you redecorated? <laughs> because you seem to now have a wooden background. Oh, yeah, I've got a bit of a feature wall in my office just to try oh. and. Uh, professionalize some of my videos um, rather than staring at the uh, back wall of my shed door or just a plain wallpapered surface. Uh, I did notice in one of your last trick, Tim. Did yeah. notice in one of the last videos when you had some guns hanging up on the wall, it looked pretty cool. 
yeah, that's the idea, just to sort of um, make it a bit nicer to steer at. Um, make sure it more manly. Uh, so obviously, I, yeah, I did that. Um, and then just a lot of shooting, uh, as you can imagine. Um, a lot of old stuff at the moment. And uh, of playing around with a few machine guns, getting some photos of those. Uh, that'll come out on my page in the next few months. Uh, working just on a few casual machine gun, you know. Yeah, like cool stuff too, like I, stuff I, you like, wicked stuff. Um, I like how casually you say that, Graham. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Some machine. Uh, yeah, so like, as in like NG thirty-fours, uh, MP forties, AK forty-sevens, but the ones we're allowed to own that are fully automatic, um, like a Mardus, which is your Browning fifty um, BMG, uh, and a few other Maxims and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, if you're into that stuff, that'll come out in the future. And yeah, well, just... to be to be blunt, I think anybody if they are into guns, even if they say they're not really into machine guns, they're still going to watch stuff on machine guns, aren't they? I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm into yeah. machine guns, but I'd watch stuff on a kiwi, a couple of kiwi lad shooting machine yeah. guns. That's for sure. Oh, we're not shooting it. That's illegal. But it's just uh, oh, photos. sorry. Yeah, no, brains caught up. You're right, but yeah, <laughs> photos uh, and information and stuff like that. Yeah, um, couldn't do it with blanks as a theat. No. No, you could have it on a theatrical. Yes, you can. Yeah, but that's different now from a C, or is this because I've always it always always has been I C's believe. a version of a theatrical. No, C's collectors, which but is then, um, pistols, machine guns, rocket launchers, uh, yeah, automatic artillery, that kind of thing. But meaning theatrical was still as an endorsement on your license would still be in a C, or was it something I, different again? I think it's a, it's its own it's an it, own card. I'm not sure. I yeah, think it was. On, a, I think you have to have a C and then a theatrical as well. Yeah, to hold them. Yeah, um, something like that. I, I, I'm oh, not sure no, if you held no, a theatrical no. license. Um, but yes, but the idea is just to show a few cool sort of New Zealand uh, <laughs> historic uh, firearms and also the things that we went up against, and to, you know show that you can collect these things legally and there is um, sort of ways you can do it. Yeah. Um, and because, like you said, it's cool as all hell. Who doesn't want to um, play around with a a 50 cal machine gun and play soldier you know so um and then yeah learned a lot of shooting uh we did a bit of a weekend of uh, teddy with jeff from the gun rack and a few of the boys mm-hmm. uh the plan was to shoot at a mile and start building the two kilometer position but the rain uh put a stop to that even shooting a k was hard with the fog but uh anyway um yeah same thing just just a quiet christmas but just a bit of time on the range practicing and um getting a few guns squared away. Nice. Dirk? Um, did a bit of hunting, one day of hunting, uh, in the beginning of the holidays. Was unsuccessful, but um, was good getting up. And then um, went to the South Island for a little Christmas trip and so on, and then came back. Um, probably been to the range once or twice. Went to the range today with uh, a few mates was pretty good but uh the windy in Wellington was as usual um pretty gusty windy. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah the thousand uh, was quite was quite tough so, yeah. um I could imagine well like like I was saying to you earlier Dick I was kind of busy two two little girls on holiday and you know keeping an eye on them which was awesome but um I got out at a few Tuesdays did a few setups um got a few sunburns while you know setting up people's rifles and trying to sort out thermals under you know a blanket or something so you could actually see what was going on that's pretty hot 
hot sort of thing. Um, something had happened. I, I thought I'd just, I oh, know now that I've just done this preamble that it's all about precision shooting, but however, Graham, I thought you might appreciate this. So I went up to um, the Auckland War Museum because there was a Lego expedition uh, uh, exhibition up there. So I took the girls up there. And while I was there, I said, oh, I want to pop upstairs up to the top and just talk because I'd like to, I've got a 1901 Long Tom and it's got the name, I think, of the owner in it. So I thought, well, maybe I can talk, find someone, talk to someone, get some provenance. While I was walking up there, I remembered something from about 15 years ago. And that was that my grandfather, who was 21st Battalion, when in 2005 they shut down the the RSA, they donated all of their stuff to the Auckland War Museum, and there was actually a display of all the stuff up there. So while I'm walking around with my girls, granddad passed away a couple of years. I'm like, oh, there's stuff from granddad actually up here. And then it occurred to me to talk to my mother, who's got some stuff, and she's turned up with which. So I knew that there were some photos. I found some photos of granddad back in the war, but what I didn't realise. There's also a long form interview with him about his, his experiences during the war. It's all got transcripted and everything. So oh, these only turned up yesterday. I haven't had to listen to it, but just as a lot of those old fellows did at the time, I never talked to my grandfather about his war experiences or anything like that. So um, I'm quite keen to check that out, actually, because it'll probably give me a bit of an insight to my grandfather that I've never really had, you know? Yeah, so, man, that's um, awesome. Yeah, Pretty so that was... Man. That was quite cool and already seen some photos of him in the RSA and, and even older photos as well. So um, there you go. That, thanks to Lego, basically. That's, that's very cool. You know, that those those uh, audio um, transcripts probably wouldn't get listened to that often and you can actually learn and study and um, sort of maybe figure out what your grandfather went through. Um, well, it, look, it's um, – and we, we won't – stay on it too long because it's uh you know it's but it's a thing right so there's there's a line in here that floored me um time stamped he said losing others says this is when the hurt came along he talks about losing his swiss friend ernie mm. but no idea who ernie is but he gets mentioned several times in here so i imagine i'll learn a bit about my grandfather just going through that yeah well, well so, we're quickly on the topic quick yeah go I had a similar thing just over the last week. So my great-grandfather fought in the First World War, mm -hmm. and I know his name. His name's Lionel, Lionel Bishop. Uh, got shot up in France, got shot up in Belgium, and uh, then come home. <clears throat> um, my dad just happened to mention that his father fought in the land wars in Taranaki, so the New Zealand wars, they're now called. But he only knew the initials, which was uh, W. Bishop. Anyway, I happened to visit a friend who's a... We're doing the uh, machine gun stuff I was talking about. And I mentioned it, that I just found out that I had a, a relative uh, in the land wars. But I didn't know his name. I knew his initial, Rady Ra, and that he's from Taranaki. And then my friend walks over to a box in his shed, pulls out this book here. It's the, <laughs> the New Zealand Wars, uh -huh. 1845, 1866. He opens up the Taranaki page and he finds my great-great-grandfather right there. Um william bishop and then sure enough we we confirm it through the various ancestry things and there you go find out wow. all this interesting information again it's limited because it's not like they had on um, facebook or um anything <laughs> fun to do back then but um oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's yeah just cool um these things you find out by just talking to the right people and um or, or the right place at the right time about your own family history um oh that's it 
That's yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway, that's off topic, but it's interesting. Nonetheless. That's okay. It's still it's related. It's still related. So, all right, bring it back on topic then. Uh, Dirk, we we're talking about before we started. Uh, you guys did some testing recently, or testing out on that range that you put up as well, um, in regards to the what's his name? I've forgotten. What's uh, Chris uh, Chris Way? Way. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Chris Way. What's and the name of the, the craft? Test- Thank the you. Craft. Yeah. With a K. So, I'm trying to kill my computer Can you explain what the craft test was? Because I can see it's one of those things that seems to have got a little bit of traction in the precision shooting world. Um, um, yeah. yeah, so basically, um, uh, the, the gist of it is you shoot 14 rounds, um, you've got four positions, so you, you, and you've got one target that looks like this. I don't know if you can see it. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, you put it up at 100. Uh, you shoot, and this is all supported, so you can shoot from a tripod if you're standing, kneeling, sitting, whatever. But uh, So it's nothing freehand, but you start standing. Uh, you shoot one shot. Then you go um, over the next barricade or whatever you want to shoot off. Um, kneeling, then sitting, and then prone. But you shoot one shot and shift, and then you go back to standing, um, kneeling, sitting, prone, standing, kneeling, sitting, prone. You shoot on the same target. And um, the idea behind that was um, we usually, or I do, um, when I train, I'd shoot, let's say, three shots of a, a certain position. But you kind of get that position, you build it. Um, while here you shoot one shot and you break the position. Yep. And um, the, some of the other stuff is as well, you, you see um, – your point of impact shift. So um, start some, some, some people would have uh, incredible um, prone shooting, but if you if they shoot off a barricade, they shoot two inches high or two inches right or whatever. Um, so then you take the target that you shot um, and you scan it in and you send it to that is data at riflecraft.com. So it's uh, his email. And I haven't I haven't heard back from him because we only I only send it today, um, but it's it's actually um, it's pretty cool to see where um, your point of impact shift a little bit, and it's also pretty cool to see. Um, uh, well, it's quite eye opening to see that you're not not as proficient in some of the positions as you thought you were because steel steel's kind of. Um, forgiving yeah yeah it's it's pretty forgiving even though you can take a small piece of steel i mean um i can show you now okay hopefully you can see that yep. there's three three ones that were pretty wide out and those all of those are standing and then the rest is kneeling sitting and prone and um you don't really get a steel target that's that big it's an inch or maybe something yeah. like that so it's normally uses see the steel hit and you think you're you're right on so um yeah it's a it's an eye-opener but it's what do they say paper doesn't lie so well yeah, it, it cool. really refines your hit because yeah steel yep. you've got that margin for error i always wonder if it's backwards mm. anyway you've got that yeah that tire so if it's a high or low it hits a hit you know whereas paper it reminds yep. me in regards to breaking the position rebuild break position rebuild there's a dot drills um that you'll do as well and we'll we'll run it with people where once everyone's got their gun zero then it's like right that's enough group shooting but now let's do a dot drill and it's just a pile of dots on a bit of paper and you shoot a dot and then you stand up 
Then get back in position, shoot a dot, then you stand up. Get back in position. Yep. And you only in this case, you're only doing it prone, one position. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're forced to break that position and rebuild that mm-hmm. position. Because yeah, if you can sit there and not move and and everything's put, you're basically bench rest shooting, essentially, yep. you know, but that's not kind of what we're doing. It's practical. What yeah. what, what interests we, oh go, sorry. And what was quite interesting, um, and uh Jean mentioned it as well, is um you think 12 rounds doesn't take a long a lot of time but in in this specific one there's a there's a time drill as well but for the first time when you do it um you kind of you don't have a time limit so now you obviously try and breathe correctly you take your time and want to want to break that right correct shot um there's not really but, a time limit on it there's kind of more you set your own part time don't you yeah 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 so um I think is are you talking are you referring to the second the second part of the draw or are you referring oh, that, to this is, one? Is that how it works? I, I haven't I've only sort of seen a few videos of it. I just sort yes. of thought that so, like once once you've set your once you've got your base time and then yep. you you try and knock a bit of time off it as you go through. Yeah, that's correct. So you want to you want to get that sweet spot. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'll get back to what I just wanted to say, but you want to get to that sweet spot where um your groups aren't massively increasing but you're still pretty much there and there about, and then you take that time as a benchmark and then you try and keep to that time or better it, obviously by doing that drill. But what I wanted to say is um, shooting those 12 shots takes time. You think it's a quick 12 shots and then we go, but you sit there and you go, okay, wait for this one. You break the shot and you go, okay, build the next one. You break the shot and after you shot 12, you're like, I'm almost so exhausted. <laughs> um, so yeah, but uh, I mean, it's bottom uh, bottom line. I think I'll I'll keep the first one that I did. Um, we did this with twenty twos as well, um, yeah. and I did it with my hunting rifle as well. Um, I'll 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 keep them in a file, and I'll kind of every time I go to the range. I mean, it's only twelve rounds. Um, I'll I'll try and do that draw just once, and kind of get mm. into that feeling and and see how I can improve because it's um, that uh, the guy who did this, Chris Way. Um, I listened to a podcast. I don't know who, who he was talking to, but he's he's very analytical, and it's quite interesting how he talks about if you just improve five percent here by the end of the year, you kind of improve twenty five percent or whatever. So he talks sense. It, it's interesting as uh, we were talking before. It's a, from a data gathering point of view, it is interesting. It's getting more done on the same bit of paper because I mm. I would have thought, and I mean I've just put a note here because you know I do run this this show where I interview guys overseas about this stuff so i'll get in touch with him and see if he wants to chat but it, but i would have also thought as well if you're going to do it you're asking for these responses to come in to have the four four targets for four positions because it's just another data point you can separate out I agree. and you can always combine them you aggregate them together for the overall if he's looking for an overall trend of something but then hmm. yeah because he won't be able to tell that your three yep. big shots out there are really standing they could have been yep. something weird going on while hmm. kneeling or whatever it is so yeah yeah. Um, so so I, yeah, um, I agree with you, hundred percent. Um, I don't know. Maybe he just thought that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, on paper I, you, I, you want I, you want one paper, and then if you can shoot all of that on that, let's say a one MOA or two MOA, then that's kind of the PRS way because you're not going to shoot 
on a different True. I don't know. I, I wonder as well whether when he started doing it, he didn't necessarily expect guys down in New Zealand scanning yep. them all, sending them all <laughs> off. And yep. on the flip side as well, I can also appreciate if you're going to do that, just dealing initially of the one is probably easier than having four sheets of everybody to aggregate. And if he's got people all over the place sending stuff in, yeah, it's a, yep. a quarter of the potential work he has to do initially. And then round two, yep. yeah, then we can split them all off. So hmm. uh, I was in, I was listening to Frank was talking about it and Frank being Frank, he kind of gamed, gamed the test in some ways that he did split them all out and he went through yep. and figured out what his offset was going to be for sitting and standing and which is great awesome learning you know now he's you know he knows he's for example whatever it was 0.1 click down every time he's sitting he drops you know whatever it was i mean the groups that he, i saw the photos of the groups he shot a ten ass teeny little group anyway but uh you know so yeah i think he, he he practiced and he said well you he didn't say i couldn't practice so yeah fair enough but the, the <laughs> most the most interesting thing to me was uh, on my 22 um and i might be way off with this um, but I feel like when you're shooting 22, your follow through should be even better because it's such a slow projectile. Any change that you make just as you break the trigger will throw the bullet off. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been normally what, what I would think is if you're shooting a rifle off, let's say you're shooting prone and you're zero um, and you then shoot it off a barricade, then if there's any amount of recall, then the rifle should maybe shoot a little bit higher. Um, just my thinking. Um, but with my 22, because probably of the way I shoot, I, I, I pinch the bag in the front and kind of that's, that's my um, guiding hand. I can say it like that. Um, if I shoot off barricades, my rifle would shoot low mm. um, with a 22, not with a Santa Fire rifle. So are you high with your center fire or are you? No, I'm, I'm, I, I can, so this is, there we go. Yeah. The, uh, the big ones are, are the um, standing, but the rest is in the middle. I can't tell you which ones are a little bit higher, a little bit lower, but then that talks to what you just said. But I mean, that's, that's good enough for me. Um, but with the 22, I think, uh, we this one, there we go, 22. I was doing that. Mm. I was shooting low the whole time, and then I was shooting this prone. So it, it's quite interesting. It's almost a, I've, I've read or seen guys where you're almost um, you're shooting and you're pushing, you're driving into it because of not follow. It's mm. almost yeah, the it's over and, follow through. You're driving into it, and mm. I certainly have read about guys the speed the the projectile gets out the barrel or lock time is I think what Frank is called, you know, every time yeah. it gets out. So guys running the, the, the six mils and stuff like that, super fast. Cause it's just getting out of there, out of the end of the barrel quicker. Yeah. And it's, that's that ongoing one. Cause guys have the videos and go, Oh, but the projectiles left the gun before the gun starts um, recoiling everything like that. But you shoot yeah. enough, you kind of know if you don't follow through, it's not going to go in the same place. Yeah. Um, and I think with my 22, it's, it's, uh, it's a CZ455, but it's just, it's the Varminter. But it, I mean, it's out of the box rifle. It's not really, if you put it on a barricade, it's not really balanced. So I kind of have to, versus my Centerfire rifle, um, I kind of have to drive it into the bag and pinch mm. it or like hold it down a little bit more. Otherwise it'll drop, the, the, the butt would like drop down. So that could probably be one of the uh, factors as well. The balance of the rifle not being perfect. I don't know. 
just testing stuff. That's cool. I, I, it's cool it's, testing stuff and seeing yeah. that, that this is what happens. And because on steel again, you, you don't see that, um, uh, especially if you shoot that the whole time and you see well, all of them are kind of grouping there. And so, and so the positions like you're standing kneeling is set to what you want. There's not a preset like like no. your PRS barricade stage. It's not a specific. No. It's you decide what your your standing height is and, and your kneeling height. It's yep. set up for you, yep. your baseline, yep. not anyone else. I, I think, I think um, look, I mean, if you want to be if you want to be, if you've got a, a kneel height concrete bench that you're just going to put a bag on, I don't know if that's maybe just going to mm -hmm. defeat the point versus actually having some kind of barricade. It can be a, a very solid barricade, um, but I would rather, I would say you want to, um, you want to use stuff that some that, that, that you're going to get into in stages um, and kind of replicate that and see where are you trending. Um, what you really need is three tripods with the different heights. <laughs> you do, you do. I six, mean, six, because you need the yeah. rear support with them as well. <laughs> um, the thing I think, though, is which is awesome, is regardless in some ways of what the data is that Chris is getting, it's getting guys out shooting, breaking position, shooting, getting off their stomach, yeah. shooting, and like I say, a dot drill, his test, whatever it is, is, is that thing is once you've, you know, if you just lie down on your stomach and go through a box of ammo or 20 rounds of reloads or whatever it is at the range and call it good, well, you haven't learned anything. So even for guys who are mm. just going to put 12 rounds from position and cycling that round, man, that's going to be, there's so much, much there to get out of it um, than what I'd say a lot of people normally do on the range. Yeah. And um, what he said as well, what was quite interesting is you see a lot of these uh, PRS guys, I think he's been shooting for competitively now, like at, at a high level um, for two years, correct me if I'm it's something, it's something around there, but it's a short time and he's gained, um, he's gotten a lot better. And what he says is there, there might be guys that have been shooting for 35 years, but they still, they haven't learned um anything new from for the last 25 years but now he's he's every single time he's taking those he's he's going to the range he's trying to figure out something new to try and see if it's going to throw him off or if he can learn something from a from a different um let's say regime or training training system so it's um yeah those 12 rounds got me a lot more information than than, than i've uh, been doing the last uh, mm -hmm. while so yeah, it's cool. Very cool. <laughs> Good. Tick. Done. Sweet. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, I've just I put some notes, just the stuff I've heard about. So um, uh, pending 6.5 ammo shortage. Ooh. Continuing 6.5. Oh, sorry, yeah, you're right. Yes, you're actually right. Continuing. So we, I, if the lads haven't seen it, um, Steve from Steve's Wholesaler, which is Hornaday, um, gave a uh, put an update on today, yesterday, recently. Yep. Anyway, um, he's been battling trying to get stuff out of um, America, and yeah, it just sounds like all the six five, so six five PRC, which is you know the darling cartridge at the moment, even for hunters, is going to be a little bit of a trick. All the popular powders, I think. So I don't know, Graham. Time to build that. Well, you've got it. So time to reload for the three hundred PRC, huh? Uh. Well, I don't even have dyes. Yeah. Uh, uh, meaning seven mil thirty cal might just be again suddenly surge in popularity in the next couple of months. 
I, which um, will then cause shortages um, there anyway so yeah i've got a big enough selection of um stuff that i can normally move between uh what's run out uh i just found two boxes of 130 grain elds mm -hmm. uh which i didn't know i had which is cool uh, very cool actually um and yeah playing with 223 a lot is keeping me sort of tied over between competitions um so i've got enough ammo to shoot sort of the upcoming matches but um and for, for sort of practice but yeah definitely uh and this is the thing too like people panic 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 because hornaday is probably the biggest um seller in new zealand but there's burgers have come in um sierra's come in uh, there are other options uh yeah. i'm not sure he should have a nozzler um mm, shipment coming soon so you got the rdfs which haven't RDFs. been popular in new zealand people haven't no. used them um there's well, a short thing going on that long it's time you try something new to yeah. be honest sorry Graham. did you say you were planning on are you gonna are you gonna shoot the matches with a 223 no just the, oh. um, i've just been practicing with it just no with a machine gun keep up <laughs> <laughs> i mean too many options there's three on the plc 223 i would like options i would like to be able to shoot a, a match with the 223 um if there was a match that was uh four two two three so i've seen them in comp and they struggle against six fives yeah it's just not the mass there even yeah, with like i'm shooting the 77s but they're good hmm. they're pretty good out to a k so far but uh man they only just chipped the paint to a thousand well they still hit it pretty hard but like a six five actually moves the plate um, yeah Whereas the six, uh, the, the five, five, six is only just doing it. So it's just the energy yeah, thing, I guess. We had a two to three in our team. Um, what was the previous GPIE match? Um, Toronto. And that wasn't really far, but but because of the grass, um, if he misses, we had probably half of the shots that we just said, there's no visual. No one could see where the splash was. Mm -hmm. And some of the further ones, he, um, he'd hit it. And we wouldn't even be looking. We'll just try and listen and hear if, if it's hitting. So, um, yeah, you're kind of putting yourself at a little bit of disadvantage there, I'd say. But it is a cool if, – if, if it was dry and lighter plates or, I don't know, something that moves a little bit more or hit indicators, that would probably work. You, you, I guess you're putting yourself as a disadvantage if you're shooting with anything else. And you've given me a beautiful segue because Blair – I, I hear, uh, well, rumor, or I, I read, was reading discussions about the 223 308 or the NATO class or whatever it was, and guys going, Oh, can I run an AI or a 22250? Or <laughs> yeah. that wouldn't be a 223, would it? But uh, um, so, yeah, no, so boys yeah, down there are talking about that. I know yeah, Nick's talked about it before. Yeah, all the South Island match directors are. Uh, Go, we're going to try and either make a class or make it suitable for 2d3s to arrive as well so on the on the further plates like probably 600 plus we're going to probably put up a separate plate um nice lightweight just a six mil steel and so it, you'll actually see some impact on the plate at, mm -hmm. um, with the 2d3s and we've done some testing with them and yeah you have your heavy steel plates you can usually hear it but you just can't see it so but we've we've found with the six mil plates um won't go through even mild steel it won't go through past about 450 meters um and so yeah light, lighter plates and uh, there's no real 
set rules for it yet. Um, I'm ho- I was hoping for it to be 223 rim only, um, but there's a few guys wanting to run the likes of the 224 Valkyries and 22 250s because there's plenty of them around here. Um, so we're look so every, everyone's sort of throwing throwing things in and thinking yeah. well maybe maybe we'll just do an energy lim- limit for a start to get it going and if we can get it like ever the faster ones down to the hotter 223s um like set a 1400 uh, foot pound limit or something get them similar for a start get the class going and then it might work out all right. Um, Nick from Sparrowhawks wanting to do a NATO class because he's got 308s. Um, so they want to do 223 and 308. Um, some of the other guys it will be just um, 223 or 224 Valkyrie sort of class only. Um, but yeah, that's main, main, it sort of kicked off because of yeah, your 6.5 ammo shortage. Um, and we've all got 223s down here for shooting a lot of wallabies and, and stuff like that anyway. Um, so there's plenty of them around. Um, Steve Dumphy shot the last Sparrowhawk match with his 223 in some horrendous conditions and got four. So wow. it can be done. And like it was, it was a bog stock Tika T3 with an 18-inch barrel. So yeah, yeah, they, they work. I, I shot mine with um, 18-inch barrel shooting off the tripod at um, Ben's place where we're, where they're doing the um, Boundary Creek match in Omaru. And I was shooting that off the tripod standing um, at the 900 meter plate. And yeah, it's nice and dry paddock, so we walked it in pretty quickly. Um, but it swung the target pretty well. So it, it, can, it can definitely be done, but we'll, we'll sort of limit it to probably 700 for the, for the long range sort of side of it. Yeah, that, that'll probably be cool because that almost, if, if 22 is now the, um, let's say, the, the cheaper option for. for precision shooting and so on these comps um if there's if you want to go centerfire and you still want, don't want to spend heaps of money and not reload and everything 2d3 would be a, a cool class to to get into there's some, there's some pretty good factory ammo around as well yep you can still get um, yep. yeah it's 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 an option and the uh, uh, the, the comment you made about guys wanting to run 22 250s and and the valkyries and, and, and such so i've used all three quite extensively yeah um, people get really upset about the Valkyrie. It uh, it really tickles the fud bone in New Zealand. But um, some interesting stuff about the Valkyrie. So twenty two two fifty, this is the issue. So twenty two two fifty with like an eighty eight grain LDM is extremely capable with a a, a custom barrel, custom twist. Yeah. Uh, say like a one in seven. Now the Valkyrie comes with the one in seven twist or one seven point two five, so it can stabilize eighty eight grainers. So. Uh, with the playing around I did, so my 22250 uh, two, being a 1 in 14 twist would only shoot 53 grain projectiles max, right? Which is kind of standard, 53 to 60 grains. Now, it's got an incredible muzzle velocity, but because of that low VC, it sheds velocity so quickly, the Valkyrie is passing it at 400 metres in right. efficiency. Yep. So the Valkyrie being supersonic to like 800 metres with the... Uh, a 22 inch barrel, whatever. This is just my my direct comparisons. So people, rah, 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 just get a 22 to 50. Okay, you go buy one from the shop with a super slow twist, which is 99% of them, excluding a few limited Tigers they built and some Bagaras that no one can get. Um, the Valkyrie is performing better with less recoil, um, no barrel wear comparatively. Um, 
the issue being if you had a class that allowed all three um it's like any game because it's all a game to a certain extent people are going to go well i'm going to play the game and i'm going to get a fast twist to 250 which yep. is essentially ballistically like a real cool six mil um and then you have the same issues of it just becomes expensive and you the guys with the one in 10 or one in 12 twist two to threes aren't competitive yeah I agree which, with you. which is why i said it would have to be a energy limit yeah which the the very top end of your 223 line and it would allow those guys that have already got the 22 250s etc to to <laughs> was that good with the grunt <laughs> no it was super hot <laughs> sorry i like my hot drinks cool and i like my cold water warm anyway yeah. uh yeah it'll allow the guys with the that have already got the 22 250s to to come along and play at least and not have to go buy a two to three just because um yeah maybe so it sounds like the perfect reason to go buy a two two three everyone should have yeah, one because they are cheap you can get a howler mini uh which is a one and eight twist Someone a bit of shorter barrel but making the mark howler yeah I, I, every time i mention it i get 38 cents um so if you if you say howler too i get paid i'm a shell i have a big howler neon light in the background next time <laughs> I'll just mask it over you anyway. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> so um, I haven't looked into any two to threes. Um, hopefully, uh, uh, anyways. Um, <laughs> I've, I've got a now prohibited two to three. The the what is it? The mini action, which is the mm -hmm. shorter than the short action version. Yeah. Um, uh, is the mag overall length not a problem for shooting the the bigger, longer, or heavier? BC bullets. Uh, to to be honest, like my I'm shooting the the factory loaded um, La Pua with the 77 grain C now, so it's loaded by Belmont. Oh, nice. That's loaded to sort of standard Sammy spec anyway. Um, so that would I haven't done it, but that would load into a Howa 15 uh, sorry Howa mini action two to three 10 round mag without too much hassle. Um, mm. But I'm see I'm shooting the Howa 1500 short action two to three. Uh, because it's got a 24-inch uh, heavy barrel and one and eight twist, so I'm okay. chasing velocity. Um, but again, that costs. AI mags as well, bro. Uh, I can. I haven't. Um, I, I'm just running a floor plate uh, thing. I now again, it's not my gun. It's, I've got it in um, to, to do long range two, two, three testing from outdoor sports. Um, if it was mine, I would convert it to run the MDT two to three mags because um, mm. I'd like to use it uh, now that we're getting a few second days and matches and um, the second day is a throwaway points wise um, that's where I think it could be cool to compete with this cartridge that um, you know mm. your main score is not affected because of uh, lack of energy but you can still practice and you're going to be hammered by the wind twice as much uh, and so on and so forth so um, but the Howard Mini you just—it's I don't know the barrel length. It's probably eighteen inches, maybe twenty. But there's there's heaps of chassis options too, so you can make it cool. You can spend the money and trick the gun out if, if need be. But how how's the new bipod? Well, I have to ask. Oh, the GRS bipod—it's pretty yeah, cool, man. Like it's it's a pricey piece of kit, and people moan about that, and then they go, "My 
what? knock on what? Paris is just what? They're, in the wrong, they're in the wrong sport if they're going to complain. Oh, that really nice new bit of gear is rather expensive. We're, there's this big issue. I'm phoning up the podcast you're going to hear for me. Uh, touches on it briefly, but we'll spend a fortune on a barreled action, a chassis, an optic, and then we'll buy $4 rings and $10 yep. bipods. It's just a... It's not just a New Zealand problem. It's a it's a worldwide hmm. thing, from what I can make out, and not everyone. Um, yeah, uh, but I, these, this bipod is the cat's meow, man. It's pretty cool. It's, um, so it's it's dropping the, the what cat's meow. The cat's meow. Cat's nice. meow. Well done. Meow. Well done, Blair. Yeah. The uh, it's dropping the it's dropping the axis of the barrel below the Jesus. Anybody? What's that point out there? The tip of the triangle apex of the, the triangle yep. for the of the so is that noticeable i mean that's the thing i like we've got these wider bipods wider legs dropping it down dropping it down i mean that thing's mounted on the top of the rifle it, so it does not have to be it can be mounted below i know uh, but why so would you mount it below if you could put it on the top of a gun yes so you, you have Come to have a, you have to have the rail option um to yeah. mount it on the top uh, again, I'm running on the GRS WAG stock, yep. uh, which is like a really funky hybrid sort of crossover uh, weird thing. Um, yeah, it, it sort of just it sits. It just sits down and it's natural. And it, like you say, it's hanging, so it's not pivoting on top. Yeah. Um, every sort of two years, I've, bipods are getting more and more advanced, like literally by the year. So uh, Akitak, right? Mm. I believe you've got Akitak. Mm-hmm. I've got an Akitak. Yep. That was they were the they were the yep. tits when they came out, man. Like I've got the S five, SR four, something, something. Kerry, Kerry recommended it in this video. I bought that. They're not cheap. They're still hey, not cheap. It was years ago, man. I may have done new videos no, since no. then. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're good. No, no, they're excellent. But but the apex of the bipod is below the barrel. Yeah. Now uh, you'll notice a lot of this. Is even a problem with the uh, Skypod, to be honest. Um, I shouldn't say a problem. I just notice it. Um, but a lot of the newer Oh, attacks, that's it. That's it. That's it. Skypod, they've just crossed you off a list, bro. You can't. You can't. I like Minus MDT so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. So it's um, but they give the advantage of, of one in the legs. Yeah. Um, the newer attacks, the newer uh, who are the um, atlases? Atlas. They now yeah. offer options where the leg, if, yeah. if, if you the theoretical apex, it doesn't have one. Yeah, yeah. Sits, it's, but sits it's above the, the barrel. So, yeah. So I'm running yeah. the new whatever it is on the on the um, area four one nine Arca Swiss mount and yeah tech, if you look if you extend the the triangle up it's now below, but the difference being is yeah with that the the one you've got is it's literally hanging off it's suspended so you've just you know yeah, do you, I find you don't have to have it as tight. Okay. Yeah. Like I don't so, lock it as full as I would on my academic. Yes. So the question that I wanted to ask is um, this is probably a bad example, but. If, if 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 is that if a teeny mom, tiny vinyl record? Um, yeah, it's a it's a um, coaster. It's coaster. a coaster. Yeah, yeah. man, you're so, so cool, Dirk. You're so cool. Oh, thanks, man. man Did so you see hurt. my leopard on the back? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, very. Uh... <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> so basically, if you have a bipod, this is I'm not explaining it. I'm kind of asking while you explaining. Explain, it. It's, it's okay. um, mm-hmm. If you have a bipod and it's fixed to the bottom then obviously a rifle wants to do this small but if you've got it hanging then it's always not always but theoretically that's why it wants to be zero it wants to be in the middle if it's hanging perfectly if if the obviously the the mount is perfectly in the middle of the barrel but then you almost if you just leave the rifle 
without like tightening it up, it should be hanging on zero every time. Like a plumb bob, yeah. 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 So that that that's the thing that I really liked about that that yeah. um, system. Have you tried shooting groups both ways? So can you go both ways for us? Like forward, <laughs> forwards and backwards. Well, if you want to do it that way. No, as in, you mean bolting it on top or bottom? On top or bottom, yeah. So you, you can uh, be on top and you can be on bottom. You can try it both ways. It is still the... I don't actually have an option on the gun to do that. It has a... I could put one on it. If I, I, know, I know an engineer that can do that. <laughs> I, you know, I am, you know, you know, I am the engineer. Well, yeah. well I'm, a, I'm a fabricator anyway, which um, is just like can, a really dumb can, one. Can, can you mount one on the top and then one on the bottom as well, and then do a double double stabilizing system, like a sandwich? Mm. <laughs> you probably could. In all honesty, it is a beast. <laughs> the one issue I have found with it is that the feet are incredibly sharp. Um, now, when you fold them, uh, deploy, fold the legs up into a sort of stowed position, um, the feet. Uh, they fold in, but the right the serrations are still pointing inwards. So if you haven't got them folded in, you will scratch your suppressor. Um, again, it's just something. Yes, like they are, are very sharp. Um, uh, so that's, that's the, the only you thing. You need a suppressor cover then. And just rip it off. <laughs> They're that sharp. Um, and just get um, a cover. I know I got. Need a cover, anyway. yeah. Do you, um, <laughs> do you is there any issue with? I mean, I suppose the scope you got on there has also got high rings or anything. Is there any concern about looking at the mount? Uh, the... So, I've, yeah, no. So, when I put this thing because I got this big box of parts, right? It's like yeah, Christmas, it's so good. Um, so I start, and I start bolting this thing together, and I'm thinking, shit, I'm not gonna be able to see hmm. through, through it, but um. On low, low mag, yeah, you just, might see just notice it. Yeah, but it's, it's not like so, it's sometimes you get a suppressor with a suppressor cover on and everything. At low mag, you might just see a little shadowing on yeah, the bottom. A similar. As soon as you zoom in, you're over top of it anyway. Yeah, at, it's, it's, um, at Reefton two or three years ago, we had a stage we were shooting uphill, not to the crest of the hill because we don't do that. Um, and it was the sun. We we're looking. <laughs> don't bring it up. Sorry. Don't bring it up. We were looking pretty much straight into the sun and it was foggy and it was just miserable. And so I did a test to see how much tape I could put over the end of my lens to cut out as much light as possible. Mm -hmm. I ended up with about a five mil strip through the middle. Mm -hmm. That is all you needed to be able to shoot. Wow. So it's, like the, it's like your ARD devices, the webbing devices and stuff yeah. like that. Would have, in theory, did it change? Did it change how much or how focused your parallax was on it? Because it might have changed the aperture of the scope. Mm. Maybe, maybe yeah. I didn't know. Thinking. I didn't notice. Did you still make your hits? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, all, all I just keep putting tape on it until I until I couldn't see. Then I took one more piece off, and then I started shooting it, and it was no, there was no issues at all. You just needed like five mil strip through the middle. It was all you really needed. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. All right, so if we're going to replace our bipods now, okay. <laughs> I, I see. We've talked about it before, but uh, yeah, we and, and like I put these pictures up of this thing, and um, people do get offended by oh, the do, cost. Do the amount of shit I got when I did those lightweight bipod videos, because guys are, mm. all you need is a Harris, load it up. I'm like, yeah, all you need is, sure, go for it. Yeah, yeah. take take your take your Defiance Titanium action and just. 
Put yeah, the, I, put I don't. I don't really care. I'm not saying you have to to go do this, and I'm not saying 50 meters is to make a difference. But I mean, yeah. comparing to this, oh, oh, it's now once you shoot with these, uh, like I've only shot with the Skypod Limited. It is exceptional, yeah. and I think it really fits in for practical field shooting with the uh, the amount of options it gives you to sort of um, uh, build a better position. Um, but you once you shoot these sort of attacks and um the bigger atlases I don't, I don't like the small ones um yeah you sort of when you go back to a harris um it is like getting in a like an old twitter corolla after being in a uh we'll, get you, we'll, we'll still get you from point a to point yeah. b it'll work um, and agree <laughs> that well, there's other ways of doing it you know but well, we're not so. driving we're racing so that's true that's very true <laughs> look i get I, the amount of people who after i explain to them what chromatic abrasion is and explain the purple fringing which once you see it you can't unsee it they'll generally call me an asshole because i've now ruined a lot of glass for them yeah. and it's, it's so i'm actually aware every now, every now and then i don't explain it to somebody because i am aware you don't once you see it you have trouble unseeing it and yeah, that's it an interesting so side you, topic to the topic got that, of, if you got that friend with a tangent theta don't look through it yeah, well, that's, that's yeah. what I. Yeah, I had that problem with the Delta. Yeah, uh, I looked through it once, and then yeah. Just tell me, just dick. That's off. You're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, are you going to try and sidetrack us? I am, but I've sort of sidetracked myself. Oh no, you've forgotten your sidetrack. This is why I start <clears> taking <throat> notes of sidetracks. You say? Mm, yeah. Graham, as a note, the Skypod Gen Two is out. I see. I yeah, I, I wouldn't I, mind getting one actually. Um, Sorry, Blair. Was it? I got one coming for me. Yeah, it's not. Should be here late this month, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't mind one with Ark amount. Would be nice. Yeah. Of course. Mm. For the XRS, that'd be cool. But it's money. I I've got to. I've actually got to spend money on Phoebe's gun at the moment. So that's my current. uh... Oh, talking of which, I see uh, there's uh, was it Mrs. Miss T. Mrs. Uh, we are married. Mrs. We are married. Mrs. Yeah. I, shock, I, don't, I forget the um, doctor. I'm just Doctor T L R S. Whatever. Doctor T L R S. I don't know. What? Did you have literally a shotgun wedding? Probably. Long story. That's not that interesting. Well, it's interesting. It's odd. Anyway, don't even ask. Yes. Anyway, she she shot a bit before. She had our child, um, and that sort of put a dampener on things. She was also a very experienced small ball competitor um, at a national level in New Zealand, which is younger. Um, so she shot before COVID. She shot the pre raw match, which she did pretty well in, just shooting a two two three, a basic two two three. Um, and then she wanted to shoot Tirada, um, and she shot the hunter class. She ended up second on the Saturday and got pushed back to fifth uh, for the Sunday, but still pretty awesome. Um, she actually beat Malcolm Gillis, which is quite an achievement. Um, well done. He must have ran out of ammo or something. I don't know. But <laughs> no, no, she should have well. She was shooting the Mauser um, just with a basic dialing scope on it. I just printed her a chart. She hadn't even practiced with the gun, to be honest. She just checked the uh, scope was going to work with her and got to it. Um, but, yeah, she sort of getting back into it. She's going to shoot not every comp, but maybe a three, two or three a year. Um, so I've had a spare 260 in the cupboard, uh, Tika 260. Uh, so, yeah, so I've just chucked a, a spare scope I had on it and a few things. It's got a magazine conversion, take AI mags, 
and a suppressor just to sort of make it a bit more pleasant. Um, I am going to, she likes the uh, GRS stocks, so I'm going to get her a GRS. Uh, I'm not sure of the model. It's not the WAG because the, the WAG's expensive. Um, but, the Biofrost, oh, maybe? Biofrost. Something. Is yeah, the, nice the, the yep. Biofrost, the synthetic, yep. synthetic yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Bigger, yes. Yeah, I've, I've actually literally got to order it. As the um, as the first buyback went through, I had a few. I set up basically. There was a rush to get get any two two three varmint barrel factory mm-hmm. gun in the country, and we did a few of those. And and in the Bifrost, so I did a few of those as options for guys. Yeah, um, she uh, my, the- my 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 lead in was uh, she's got an Instagram page. So what's the uh, the uh, underscore T L R S? There you go. Yeah. Um, and but yeah, um, she likes the the GRS uh, style stocks. Like I've got a lot of chassis, but she's not a fan of chassis. Um, but the GRS has the uh, molded hand grip, and that's yep. quite reminiscent to her small ball firearms. Mm. Um, so I, I assume that's why she's um, sort of getting attached to them. So we'll go down that path anyway, and uh, hopefully she doesn't beat us. She can load her own ammo and stuff. That's the idea. What if she beats you? She starts loading her own ammo. She can do it from the start. I'll just give her the recipe. <laughs> no, oh, you know, if there's a comp and I've got to load up, say, 200 for myself and then 100 for her. I know. Um, we'll see. But, she, yeah, it's cool. It's it's sort of the idea is we can do a few trips down South Island and, um, yeah, you know, head away for, for a weekend as well. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it is cool. As long as she doesn't beat me. Well, my girlfriend beat me at Trenton the other day with my own rifle. Did so. you dial it for her? Yeah, and I was kind of I was calling the wind and everything, but she still just don't just don't help her. Just leave it on zero. It's all right. No, she said she said she said, uh, "Can we go another round?" And I said, "No, we're going home now." That's it. I'm I'm, (laughs) enough. My gun's obviously broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uh, It could be worse. I was beaten by an Australian with my own gun once. So that's tough. Yeah, terrible. It was rough. Although to be fair. It was a right-handed gun, and he was right-handed. I'll, maybe that's what I'll go with. Are you a lefty? Huh? Yes. Are you a lefty? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of lefties in the in the precision <coughs> rifle uh, world. Is <laughs> the world? We're still it's, fighting yeah. for our own division, you know. No, Isn't... but there's there's a lot of left, a lot of very good shot, uh, like a lot of very good shooters are lefties. It's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. My uh, my last squad at um, Sparrowhawk was nearly all left-handed shooters. Yep. Last squad at, at Simon Street. As it turned out, randomly we're all left-handed. I don't. Which Simon was like, what? What? But yeah, I, I, I'm 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 the weird one. I'm right-handed, but shoot left-handed. I'm other way around. I'm right left eye dominant. I shoot a bow left, but I shoot a rifle right, and I'm right-handed, so I'm pretty screwed. So yeah, pretty yeah. I'm I'm just the normal. Person. You're very <laughs> vanilla, Graham. Very vanilla. Well, no mole. Now, my eyes don't work, but my hands do. So, <laughs> there you go, boys. Are you got pants on tonight, by the way? I forgot to ask. It's no. getting hot. No, I didn't think so. No, I don't. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. right no, I've never, no, ever had them on the show. No, not no pants. <laughs> Tick. Okay, that's getting, getting everything checked off. Um, I had an inter- Sorry, what? Rusty, we're getting excited. Yeah, he will be. He will. He will. Be. Yeah. Probably still got Australian a photo, of, photo of his knee, of uh, Graham's yeah. knee up on the wall somewhere. My knee. <laughs> knee. Uh, so I had an interesting one recently. Big news. Big news. Ready for this? I'm going out for a hunt. Well, what, animals? Yeah, I, 
I know animals like in in the bush, like regional park thing hunting. Like rabbits. Not rabbits, big rabbits with, yeah. Um, so I thought I'd better take the um, Browning out of the um, safe and actually shoot it and check the thing was zeroed because I've got no idea what ammo it was zeroed to, whether it was reloads or factory loads or whatever. So I just grabbed a box of psycho ammo because I'm like, whatever, I can't be bothered reloading, just going to do that. Um, what, what caliber is it? Uh, 7 milliliter. I'm in Auckland. Yeah, 22250. No, I'm in Auckland. It's a 7mm8. I mean, come on. I, th- I thought you were shooting like a 6GT or something for your hunting rifle. No, I, I had the opportunity to shoot an, uh, shoot an animal with my, my comp gun recently, and I didn't because I actually got behind the rifle. Everything's lined up. There's like a mob of them. I'm like, nah, this is this is actually just doesn't feel right. You know, like 50 <laughs> metres with my um, 6 Creedmoor and the new pre- – anyway, I was just like, nah. Didn't really matter anyway so i do that so i set it all up and i was i was set it in the process of setting it up and i thought okay well bush hunting most shots are going to be 50 or 100 but if i you know get out to 200 i'm at the point i'm kind of comfortable taking a shot at two 300 probably you know if an opportunity presented itself but i've still got my first scope it's my first rifle we've got a scope so it's just got a z3 on there uh three to nine and it's just got plex and not really diable that's rofsky turrets that aren't got numbers on and everything and i was looking and i'm like you know what i no longer am comfortable just having a standard plex scope on there if i'm going to take a shot at 200 meters because now that notion of just aiming a little bit high and going she'll be right suddenly does not appeal to me and i'm just like that's not i know better than that now so i've pulled it out i've actually put i've replaced my swaro z3 with an old weaver which is old enough that it's a mil moa mismatch Second focal plane, got the reticle. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So I figured out all the, the subtensions and all those, you know. Um, but I can dial. So we'll see We'll see how that goes. It's probably going to bug the crap out of me. So I think sometime a new hunting scope will be on the list. But that got me thinking that, yeah, it's. Um, I'm not even talking long range, not even thinking five, six, seven, or some of the stuff I see, which is maybe something else we can talk about. But yeah, 200 meter shot, I'm suddenly like, no, nah, I want to be able to dial and get my range finder, get a ballistic proper drop and everything. So um, it's just interesting. Basically, I see guys now taking further and further shots with all kinds of rigs that maybe they shouldn't be with. And I just think, yeah, I'm, I'm less comfortable now more than ever shooting 200 meters on an animal without a proper rig set up and going. Yeah, I went back in time a little bit and... Uh put a three to nine Bushnell trophy scope on my uh, old match 260 that is now my hunting gun. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't have anything else floating around. So I just put that on it for the weekend and zeroed it at a hundred mil dot reticle in it. And um, had a look at some of the ammo that I had floating around. I had some 95 V maxes uh, doing 3450. Um, so 1.1 mil of elevation to 375 meters. Mm. And so I only ever had to hold um, yeah one one point five mil I think was a max hold for the whole for the whole week and um, yeah it was awesome <laughs> it was it was quite good fun going going back in time a little bit and just yeah just having holdovers and yeah nice and light at least yeah yep. well this is the thing I haven't even figured it out and more than likely if if we come across a seeker in the heavy bush or anything it's going to be probably at twenty meters so. Uh, yeah. So if you if you hear any news reports, uh, it's me and another guy, and uh, between the two of us, if, if we do get any into any mischief, it, it's going to end up on the news. It's going to be a horrendous combination of people out there if that happens. So anyway, you, you, the, the point of shooting a long way hunting, 
like I shoot, uh, I try to limit myself to under 500 when it comes to hunting, ideally closer. Um, we went the other day with Jeff and the goats for it. 300 and we end up walking to like 80 meters because it was just simpler right hmm. um but i do stretch it out a little bit with um uh what i think is appropriate guns that i can do it with there's uh, something popped up on one of the long range new zealand uh group um last night <laughs> guy new to it new to long range uh getting old was this thing wanted to shoot game at a thousand meters plus with a three threat lap or a magnum to make up for his um ailing uh, abilities climbing hills i imagine um it's still got to get there though yeah how do you recover it <laughs> well how do you how do you find it when it runs away with a hole in its oh of course the issue. of course uh again people would say the same to me with 500 yeah but uh i think there's a there's a unfortunate um oh and he, he didn't want to practice he didn't want to practice in comps or or hand load or anything so he just kind of wanted to go out there and blast things um yeah just did you so, send him yeah. a link to countdown? <laughs> What's that? I just send him a link to countdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. New world. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's. I think it's an issue with um. Again, people think I shoot too far when I hunt. Um, that's fine. But there's a thing that new shooters think you can just come out and hunt game. Like I could put together a, a gun for a new shooter, make them a dope chart, and they could probably hit a thousand meters on a. 500 millimeter piece of steel and six, seven shots with a bit of coaching. Yeah. That doesn't mean you can go out into the field and shoot a goat or a deer or a fucking rabbit, whatever, with the same efficiency. And um, I'm not going to go into the realm of ethics because everyone has different ones. There's no rules, right? Um, but you still want the animal to die. So you've got to be wanting to put it into its vitals or shoulders, have enough energy, have a bullet that expands. All these things come with experience that i don't have um mm. so i'm saying a, a new shooter uh I'll, if they want to learn to shoot a bit further would be well first of all practice but say i, I want to shoot to 300 meters which for a lot of hunters is a long way you know learn learn uh learn to do that before you sort of bite off more you can chew and um shoot a deer in the ass that you're never going to find and the thing takes a week to die or whatever um it's kind of off track from what we're talking about but it's yeah, my, my biggest thing about hunting, um, at, let's say, of a you say five hundred, I'm kind of in the same realm. Um, even at five hundred or four hundred, if you have wind, um, mm -hmm. and, and past five hundred, obviously, just gets way worse. But um, every time I go shoot my my precision rifle, and we're shooting at smaller plates, like I shot at a smaller plate that I had four fifty, and I, I I still had to put a little bit of wind on it. Um, and I'm shooting a high BC bullet at higher velocities and all of that. Now you want to take a hunting rifle, which is light. It's got more recoil. Um, it's not as stable. Um, and if you don't practice and you don't understand how to read the wind, um, and even us having a little bit of experience or I having a, having a little bit of experience with wind, I'm still kind of nervous going hey are we reading the right wind here and there before taking that shot because mm. you talk about ethical kill but it's, it's more uh, to me as well and and making that first round impact how many times can you go to a, a match and say that on every single stage i made a first round impact mm. no one does exactly no one so that, that's where the 
that's where that. And, and this is, as I remind people, yeah. these are people who go out to these competitions and shoot them semi-regularly and are actually, if you want to use the word qualified to go, hey, field shooting, long-range field shooting, this is what our sport is. And you've got sort of four guys here who are hesitant for it. It's like the guy who yeah. doesn't do that, doesn't shoot as much and is taking shots twice as long as we probably would. You're kind of like... Mm, you're, you're, a bigger caliber is not going to solve your problem. No, no. You'll find the, the more experience you get, the less distance you'll shoot. Mm. Yep. And like how many how many times you, you talk to a shooter is like, oh, yeah, I shot that tar across the valley at 700 metres. But okay, <laughs> well, oh, what sort of rangefinder are you using? Oh, I didn't use a rangefinder. I, I oh, bought it. Well, what did you, you use? Oh, I'm a 270. Oh, how did you hold over? Oh, I just aimed it at shoulder. Yeah. Just over the top of the shoulder. So yeah, it wasn't 700 metres. Yeah. It wasn't 700 meters. It was and it was 350. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. They had they had to walk around 700 meters all the way around. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think one thing, and and he gets quoted a lot now because they're kind of rock stars in the precision world. But um, the modern day sniper guys, Kalen and um, Phil. But I, I'm going to mess the quote up. But they're saying if you're unsure or something of the hit, if I you know I might hit it, then you probably shouldn't shoot at it. Yeah. If so you're surprised than, that you hit it. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, that's well. That's your. St- it's Stephen Ranella from Meat Eater. Yeah, is where I first heard. Well, who doesn't shoot? Who doesn't shoot very far at all for most nope. of his stuff? Um, nope. And it, there, there you've got. Now you don't even have a, a precision shooter, competition shooter, and what the hell do they know? That's the guy who runs the Meat Eater show. Um, yeah. Who amazingly, now they own these guys as well. They own First Light. I didn't realize. Talking of growing, Man, Meat Eater amazingly massive. Anyway. Yes. I've just uploaded some cool old episodes from like six years ago in New Zealand that are on YouTube and free if you want to look where, at them. where he sticks a pig. Yeah, That's I didn't watch that one because I don't awesome. like um, I don't like that kind of pig hunting. I'm so not big on it either, but it's it's enlightening to see Stephen Ronella as he gets up and having put a knife yeah. into it and he nailed it. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, so a, yeah, he, a he was and his... a chamois and a red deer. It's cool. Yeah. Eating the ta ta ta. Yeah. But oh, it's just how they um how they film the outdoors and present hunting in that show is uh it's very cool it's in a way that people with no interest in hunting uh, ex- excluding maybe the scenes of dismemberment and, and gutting but even then uh, it's done in a certain way you know it's, it's the, the focus yeah, it's cool. okay so you've, you've given me another segue into something i was humming and hiring because we so what you don't get is glorification of the kill shot Yes, through yep. it. And and it's the first hunting show I'd ever seen where they I've seen him injure animals and they get away. And yep. you see yep. how much it messes them up and the, yep. the guys. And there's been ones where they don't get anything. Where the, mm-hmm. and they, there was one for where three days a, and there's no there's so, one where he got attacked by a moose too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Charged yep. him and smashed him. <laughs> yeah. Classic. But, <laughs> I, I would almost I would also almost make the comparison that that Eater is for hunting what Top Gear is for cause or was for cause. You'd, mm-hmm. you'd watch Top Gear and, and like someone else would watch Top Gear with you who's not really interested in, in cause and, and find it entertaining as well. Yeah. Um, mm. And I like the way he uses, if you listen to how he talks about hunting, um, I'd never be able to explain myself and and, and he puts words together and it, and it all makes sense. And the people who not necessarily hunters or might, be a little bit like d- disagree with the way that you do things. Yep. If you show them that, they look at it and they go, okay, I understand what you guys more or less feel when you go hunting mm. that whole 
He, he wrote a wrote a book on the we'll call it the eradication or the hunting to near extinction of the buffalo in America, which is a great mm-hmm. great read as well from a conservation and people learning. And he was coming from a trapping and a you know that so he's like I would have been one of those people, one of those young guys out there shooting, shooting, shooting. But now we know better. And then one mm-hmm. of the the best interactions I've ever seen was in a it was a book signing I think he was doing, and it was somebody who was oh, sitting yeah. there as a vegetarian vegan, whatever it was and just the way he reframed the statement about it you know how whatever it was and then answered it honestly it's just beautiful he's a great um bastion he's very um, clear very very yeah. clear yeah um but he's a he's a writer hey yeah i think he's originally a writer so yeah. it's probably where several books he's a uh, yeah and they're all re- then even some of them not really and there's a there's a netflix special or a docker is it under the stars there's something that's up on Netflix semi recently, which is another one talking about. Is that right? Under the stars? Yeah, Under the stars. I don't know. Yeah. Under the stars, and that's him talking from uh, hunting, explaining to the non-hunters sort of why. And what what I give him credit for is he's got a vegan journalist on there, and they use him as a counterpoint, and doesn't really uh, then go back down that. and nail him. It's just as a as a balance counter. It's really quite interesting. Well. Um... Yeah, isn't his, uh, his his cameraman a vegan? He was I don't know. I, yeah. I think he's. I think his cameraman. Well, this might be something different as well because um, I remember an episode that I watched where he was sitting with his cameraman um, uh, on one of the boats in Alaska, and they said they remember um, the the first film that they did was one of the like hardest ones. Like um, the weather was was very cold and very hot and so on. And um, the cameraman was kind of, um, he was just interested in what um, Steven is actually doing. And then he, yeah. he kind of fell in love with nature and started understanding I feel, I how they do I forget the guy's it. name, but yeah, it's the it's guy. something like that. I might be off yeah. a little bit. But. I don't know if he was quite vegan, but he, was, he certainly wasn't a hunter. Yeah. Um, and this is the guy who's now kind of, he's the guy who set the look for a lot of the meat eater. So Stephen, Stephen Ella will often credit him for setting the original look yep. of the meat eater shows, which has been refined. Yep. And um, yeah, I think it was the same thing. He wasn't really into hunting, but at the end of it, he was just totally into it because of just the way it was presented and with those guys. Left-handed it's, as well, incidentally, it, left-handed shooter. There we go. There's yeah. a, uh, a YouTube channel. It's pretty big. It's called like Field Sports Britain. It's odd. The, the English shoot in their own particular way. Um, a lot of shoot. They're just English. Um, but they, so they've got the Chinese, um, what are they called? Chinese water buck? The little tiny deer. They're like a, like yeah, a dog. Yeah. And they got fangs instead of antlers. I actually, for years, I thought they were a joke, like the um, yeah, the taxidermy things. joke thing. Yeah, and I never wanted to ask because I'd be too embarrassed that I didn't know those things. But they are, they're real. Come, come again. They've got fangs. Yeah, they've got antlers. they've got fangs instead of antlers. They're a Chinese water buck. Google them. <laughs> okay, very very cool. Now there's you watch. There's heaps of them over there now and there. Yeah. So this is this is where I'm going with this. Um. So they were introduced, and they, I, I don't know how they classify things here. Like here, we have pest species, right? But this, they had a Sheila on there who, a lady, I should say. Um, uh, Derek, um, do we need to explain what a Sheila is? Is it a no, bit of a kidney? Is it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I've been here long enough. Uh, okay, luckily, sweet. Cool. Just, just long I had a group of people, I said, I don't want to teach you how to suck eggs. And then I stopped and went, <laughs> do you all know what I mean? And everyone's like, yeah. no, like, okay, it's cool. Um, so yeah. she's a, uh, she's, she's vegan by choice, which is fine. Um, but she's incredibly well. She draws animals, but she, um, yeah. as in wild animals, uh, but she's incredibly interested in conservation. 
and the, the, the numbers of these Chinese water buck uh, too high and they're doing damage and etc. So, um, like if we don't manage a herd here, um, it can get out of control. So she went hunting with them. Uh, they selected a water buck that was past his prime. Uh, and um, from the, the small amount I know, when they get to a certain age, when they're not really breeding anymore, they get aggressive. Yep. So they start attacking younger animals and, and such. So they found one. His tusks were um, damaged, which Thanks. indicated he'd been uh, fighting a lot. And she shot it. She shot the deer and helped harvest it. And I believe she even ate it or ate some of it. Um, being that the idea that the animal wasn't factory farmed yep. or uh, so on and so forth. Um, and it was quite a, uh, I mean, it's a show. It could all be made up, who knows? But it was interesting anyway, the uh, the conservation side taking over the, the the ethical side of not wanting to eat animals at all. Um, but I don't know, it was, it was, it was worth watching. You, you find it yeah. easy enough on YouTube. Yep. Um, just an interesting look at things. But these deer are funny. You, you watch them, they're filming them, and they look like a fellow deer kind of size, maybe not quite that big. Or, or a roe deer. The I think they're even smaller yeah. than a fellow. They're tiny. They're, they're like a half size yeah. of a, a, like a yearling fellow. They're half the size. Yeah. Like so they'll shoot it. Size maybe. Like a small goat, yeah, even smaller. They carry it on a shoulder like a handbag when they shoot them. But they'll <laughs> shoot it, and they'll go up, and you, you're expecting this thing that's, say, a metre tall or 750 tall. It's not. It's like... Like this book, it's like a, it's an odd deer. Um, it, you just need to see them in scale. Um, again, interesting to look at, but it, it, that that whole uh being vegan, and, and a lot of people are vegan for environmental reasons or um, uh, factory I'm farming sure, and, and yeah. all of that. Yeah, so for those reasons, they, they think I'm not going to do it, but um, it was interesting to see the side that no, we need to do conservation to protect, uh, yeah native species um so it's okay well and also like i've had some of the the i guess the better conversations i've had about hunting have been with vegetarians or vegans if you can establish why it is that they are vegan vegetarian because if it is they're not mm -hmm. into the factory hunting or they're wanting to understand traceability and stuff like that then yeah you can actually engage and have a conversation and i'm not not going to turn around and go but you should hunt but it's like well yeah that's yeah. that's just a it's a, a different take if you've just got militant either side pro or anti-hunting whatever it is then it's never a very good conversation but i found a lot of them are actually open to it you know yeah I've, yeah, I've yeah, got a, a good... yeah so I've, I've got a very good friend um is it called a hunterian yeah well he oh, basically right. only a hunterian he oh, only eats yeah. the meats that he hunts so any fish it's, a worthy, it's probably a worthy goal is what that is but yeah, yeah. so he only he hunts a lot and but obviously with fishing and so on he dives and he fishes and he he's quite yep. an outdoorsy guy so he would um not eat he would never buy like meat at a um at a store um so that's that's kind of his his approach which is i i think that's almost the most na natural approach if you can do it but it's it's kind of tough to sustain if i can say uh, well, it's like how humans have lived for thousands of years in a way it's no different yep. from yeah what so, we did 100 years ago well, was no a, it was a comment i read recently vegetarianism veganism is a it's a pretty first world luxury that we wouldn't have had for a longer longest of times and there's someone yeah, i'm lining funnily enough it's unrelated we're getting, really getting away from maybe i should go back on the bloke we're away from precision shooter now but um there's a guy i'm lining up for an interview actually for on the bloke side rather the trigonometry show um who's a doctor 
doctor who's involved with the carnivore eating um, uh, movement, I suppose. And I'm going to talk to him about the, the, I don't know if you guys ever read a book called The Hunting Hypothesis. No, it's a bit, of, it's a bit, bit on the edge of the, the fringe edge of, edge of things, but talking about yeah, the way that we eat now is as a result of yeah, we were hunter gatherers for a long time. It's where we got where we are. It's only now that we're there that we can then go. Oh, now I don't need to do eat that way anymore. So um, um, we're, yes. we're we're going we're going around and the tissue quite a good conversation, and I'm definitely not here to, to bag people's lifestyle choices. Not at all. Uh, I, I like the idea <laughs> do what you of what you're doing stuff. I really no, feel you're framing it up for something, though, Greg. No, I'm not. I'm not. I, okay, I, right. I just think it's an interesting conversation. But no, 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 but yeah, no. If, if everyone uh, can live their life the way they want, uh, yeah, it's just the, that's the way I see the world as, as being a better place, as long as it's not hurting other people, of course. Um, but I nearly said the but word. But but it's an interesting <laughs> comparison that people with um, who, who are vegetarian and, and vegan or, or whatever for these reasons actually have a huge amount in common with a lot of hunters who yes. like to feed <clears throat> feed their family uh, more natural meats. Uh, it's more cost-effective sometimes, uh, depending where you go. Um, and how many and also like there? to do... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not if you live in all time. I don't But But, you know, like say if you want to... Um, forage or or hunt game be it rabbits through to deer to pigs uh on on private property on farms for, for landowners or in, in the bush um a certain aspect of the um ideals align i believe and uh yep. it's interesting I, I imagine it's been looked into plenty of times but um i'm lucky enough to not pay for a lot of meat i buy chicken uh we make an effort for it to be free range uh, my wife likes it that way um, we raise our own beef here. Um, I shoot some wild pigs. I raise my own sheep, uh, venison, and, and so on. I, but, I'm, but I'm a beef guy. Our own eggs, we eat from our own garden as much as we can seasonally. Um, so maybe, let's say 50% of our stuff is um, from where we live. Um, uh, part of it's to save money and just, like, I don't know what beef costs. I've never ever paid for it. But... Um, I don't know. Is it cheap? I don't know. No, well, no, it's not. I'm lining, and funnily enough, I'm lining up an interview as well for Butcher probably week after next. So I'll get you the, the, the prices exactly for it. Um, <laughs> well, like, see, the thing is, but, but you know what I mean? Like, if, if oh, it's, I know, I know. This we, world of, 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 uh, instant gratification, I'm the same. I buy yep. order something I want it next couple of days. Um, we're the same with food. We don't want to put the effort in. Uh, and, and again, this isn't me putting huge effort in. It's like my, my lovely wife growing veggies and trying to grow fruit trees and uh, looking after the chickens and so on and so forth. And I mean, we're buying in food for the chickens, which is an actual, it's an animal waste product now. I think of it, it's made out of cows. But um, she's growing the veggies. She's turning the, the ground. Uh, I hunt quite a lot or at least pest control. Uh, and now I don't eat everything. I, I make, no, uh, make no sort of... Um, stories up that I take everything home when it's doing pest control. But if more people did it, I think it would be better. Um, it's even the most natural people, way of living. Well, just for, well, you, I mean, you can, in South Africa, hunting is extremely popular outside of, yep. I imagine a lot of it, but, but yep. people knowing where your meat comes from, um, mm. kids knowing that uh, meat comes from an animal or, or, yep. or seeing a carcass hanging on the hook. Um, like to this day, I don't like gutting animals. I do it. 
but I don't I don't like it. And if if someone else wants to do it, I'll certainly let them. Um, but you knowing that you know that fillet steak comes from above the backbone, or yep. that rump steak sits the ass, or the ham, or um, man, we're off topic. But it's just an, I don't know. It's interesting anyway. It's um, you say the, that the, like you're surprised. Yeah, that's right. it's, I'm, <laughs> no, no, no. Right. I'm listening and I'm keeping a framing over here. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, it's it's just the, the whole meat eater thing. I guess it yep. sort of um, draws back to that. But having responsibility for not say all of your food, but where, where some of your food comes from, I don't think it's a bad thing. Mm. No, no, especially not at this point where you know if I didn't make an intentional effort to educate my kids that yeah, it's meat doesn't come pre-packed in a styrofoam package and everything that came from a sandwich. It's like when. You know, when the girls say meat, it's like, no, I always explain what kind of animal it came from. And they've obviously eaten venison. Uh, Claudia's been out up in Balnagown, so it's seen us hunt and gut out an animal, you know. So yeah. it's not so. It's not something with, and I speak from a metro urban because that's where, you know, Auckland, right? Mm. Um, there's so many people that have no, no connection to the land or to actually animals or the sources of their food, um, yeah. you know. I was um, up on the uh, in-laws' farm at Christmas time. I took my took my youngest, she's seven, out for a out for a shoot, and um, we shot a magpie with the twenty-two. And she um, she wanted to take it back to the house and eat it. And yeah. <laughs> she was she was all about it. <laughs> but it's a funny thing. Although Good on you, I said, yeah. I said well, how about we just pick it up? She and, and she wanted to take a photo with it, and so she could show everyone so i said oh how about we just t- pick it up and we'll just take it over and throw it over the fence so, okay here's, we'll here's a question man i'm not i'm not having it but so why not eat it is it is it a concern of the the amount of prep that's probably gonna have to do actually to get a mouthful of food out which you know <laughs> same as i think duck hunting sometimes to get a duck breast out is that you need a lot of them um maybe, maybe. What you've reminded me of is like my, my old man who grew up on farms and stuff, when we were doing pest control and shooting rabbits, he wouldn't ever eat the rabbits because he still had this feeling that they were a dirty animal. Mm-hmm. But it's not like the rabbits are going around like carrying mixomatote, whatever the farmers around the country are now yelling at me because of whatever. But, you know, they're not, they just eat grass, walk around. So they're probably not quite bad. And then I said, the irony is though, is if you go into a higher end fancy as restaurant in the middle of town, you can order rabbit and it will cost you the, the thing, or you can go out and shoot it and just prep it. So here, here is dearer than venison by a long ways usually. Yeah. And I eat a lot of here. I like, love it. I'd, I'd eat here over venison any day. Let's see. I think, I think you've got to introduce magpie to the market. It could be your thing. Maybe could be a booming. I've got a chef. I've got a chef mate who still wants. We're going to line it up. He still wants to cook up and do some pokes as well. Um, and I mean, it, if if you call it magpie, people might just think it's some kind of pie. Magpie pie. Magpie pie. Magpie pie. Just call it magpie. Um. So here's birds, oh, birds are a funny thing though. Just quickly, like uh, like you say, uh, we've got peacocks. Like pluck and gut a peacock is a lot of work it's easier to gut and skin a deer than it is yeah. in my opinion because i'm not very good at it yeah. um it's less work on a deer than it's a peacock so yeah magpies is um shit. oh <laughs> i guess you could, I... Breast, you could breast them out would probably be the uh yeah. they're, they're bastards everyone needs to shoot all the magpies mm. yes, not disagreeing there not disagreeing yeah. there sorry heads you said heads or something what 
You, you were moving on. I interrupted. No, I'm not really moving around. I'm trying to reframe around. So, uh, yeah, I've put a dialable scope on my hunting rifle. <laughs> Is that how we got here? Probably. I don't know. Well, there was the, the, I mentioned there hunting. There was a guy with a .338 that wanted to shoot deer at a camp. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. So I put a dialable scope on my rifle. And um, a couple of days after doing that, in quick succession, I've seen two headshot deer at um, long range and mm. everyone circle jerking about what a fantastic shot it was. One was a kilometer, one was about four, five hundred meters. You lads yeah, might have seen the video. And from Australia. Yeah. So, which. And they were surprised that they hit it. And they were surprised they hit it. It was a second round hit because they hadn't accounted for wind on the first one. Oh, I the didn't other one. So, the other. The other one that I saw as well was a guy had actually, as, as people will do, they, he'd commented, hey, you know, this is 500 metres, headshot on a deer. It's like, do you really think that's the best shot to be taking? And the guy turned around and said, oh, I wouldn't normally do it. In fact, I wasn't aiming for the head. I was aiming for the shoulder. Yep. Goodness. So now he's actually missed that shot by about half a metre, but he's nailed it in the head, so everyone goes, great shot. Um yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just, I have to wonder because I've got a question. We've got a question in the comments here from Neil about um, uh, knowing your limits and comfortable range in terms of ethical hunting. And we had this Ooh, conversation yeah, a while, we had a question a while back, um, which David, who still hasn't been, David's going to come on here and talk about ethical hunting. Uh, he put forward as well about limits and what the ethics of long range hunting and stuff were. And it's something I do think about. I, I maybe put forward that. Um, ethical or you know how do you know you're good enough and i was thinking about it i'm like well maybe good enough is i can hit a six inch target which is going to be your kill zone not 12 inches but a six inch target 95 percent of the time at whatever distance is that you think you're going to take a shot at now i can't hit a six inch target 95 percent of the time at a kilometer no no no. With whatever you give me, I, ha I have done repeatedly. I can hit him. Couldn't couldn't guarantee first round, first no. round hit. That's the other important bit I think there as well. And and then then that plate shouldn't be at the same place every single time because <laughs> after a month you know where the oh, yeah. wind normally comes through you, over you an know, environment that, you've that never shot before every yeah. single time and with your hunting rifle and well, I don't I, know, yeah. I listened, I re-listened recently to one of my older interviews with Todd Hodnett and he was talking about long range hunting. We talked about that and um, he was talking about his, his son had taken, had hit a hog, I think at two kilometers. That was the even kilometer 300 Norma Magnum or whatever it was. Yeah. So, okay. So two, two kilometers pig first round hit. So this is the squad, right? So it's, Todd Hodnett's son. Todd Hodnett is spotting over his shoulder. And anyone want to guess who is calling wind for the guy? David Tubb. Close. <laughs> Close. Litz. So he's got Brian Litz over Brian his Litz. shoulder calling wind. <laughs> Todd Hodnett spotting and calling. And it's the son of Todd Hodnett taking a shot. And this is not something they do regularly. This is something that was the you know pinnacle of shooting so yeah. when guys go well look i want i'm taking shots of this i'm like well what's your shooting squad looks like because that was a pretty tight squad you know so yeah. um i mean david Tub maybe david tub was doing the reloading for him that would round it up nicely i suppose supplying the bullets yeah i've, <laughs> I've got a video up on my um it, it'll be on my facebook but on youtube as well um goat culling and 500 so 
what I believe was my comfortable limit on the day. Like it's bang on 500 and I shot and I blew the thing's head off. It's on video. And in the video it says bang shot or something like that. And what it turned out to be was my scope was actually shifting. So I actually had to send the old scope away, get it replaced. But um, same thing, people are going, awesome, wicked shot. You're the man. And I'm like, no, no, that's, I didn't mean to hit it in the head. Yep. I was going for the shoulder. Um, yes, it's dead, but I, I just as likely could have taken its jaw off. Um, coming to learn later that, because I did a shot at like 280 and I had a similar issue, hit it in the neck. And I'm thinking that's weird. Uh, and, and it was, the scope was um, not doing what it should be. But yep. it's a good point you make about that. Like you could you could take the shot and go, yeah, I'm, I'm awesome. Look how good I am. But in reality, who are you kidding? Um, it's, 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 there's, there's, yeah. I guess the thing is, you see, my concern is, is that you have, uh, apart, the, the animal was hit, it dropped dead because it had just mm-hmm. been shot in the head. It was one, yeah. it was flop, bang, flop, dead. Okay, so yep. that's, okay, we didn't have an injured animal, we didn't have anything like that because no one in their right mind, I don't think, would have put the shot up if it shot it in the jaw and it went running off. It's not something you put up on Facebook, right? Bet it happens, but people are not going to put that on Facebook. So anyway, at least it's dropped. But I guess my concern is, is people getting into this, either beginners or intermediate, uh, then going, really, what are you shooting with? What's your cartridge selection? And they're trying to do the shopping list so that they can go out and do the same thing. Because without that context around it, and may, I don't know, maybe the guy does hit, you know, 99 out of 100 times at a kilometre at those shots. In, in which case, cool, it's sweet. But not many people, I'd say, in the world are actually to that, except social media then creates this illusion that, oh, that's now a new standard. We should all be trying to beat that. It, it, it's almost like um, before someone puts puts up a video like that, they have to put down some kind of, this is my credentials. I've been shooting for 15 years or I've only been shooting for two months and this is a luck shot. Mm-hmm. Um, before they they create that idea, especially for like new shooters, because they open up YouTube and they type in long range hunting yep. and they've got millions of options and people shooting with a two, two, three at 700 meters with a headshot and 20 K an hour wins. Um, and Which then, into it. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, standing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's tough to regulate. Um, uh, I don't think you, you can't regulate it. Oh, the only no, thing you, you I can't. guess, which which what what was getting me thinking about this actually is is the tie-in as well as we're gonna now we're gonna go segue sideways is the conservation and and guys like Steve or you can see now even locally where there is a big push through so the deer stalkers really push this con- conservation hunters for conservation all these things. Um, I think we also just need to all be careful as a community of these videos going up because we just need to be very careful i think of being portrayed and taking these long long range shots as i used to say to people it's like um it's like the the compilations of kill shots right and i don't know and i'm sure people are gonna i'll get probably hate messages for this but i still find it kind of weird that people get their jollies looking at a compilation of animals getting killed i just find that weird all right, and I know I get it, and I'll still look at a guy. Will go, oh, look at this thing, and they're blind the scent. But it, there's a difference between 
putting that out on Facebook where everyone randomly, if had any context, can look at it and it's the best of 2020 kill shots of some big epic music and everything. And those photos that you used to have on the phone or in the flipbook or stuff that your close mate who you know each other would go, dude, look at this one. And you'd be like, Jesus, because he's, you know, but now it's just like, we'll just put it up on social media on a group where anybody can see it, mm. you know, with, with no context and with no understanding. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think that's, that's, we're at a, we're at a night, we're at a, a good place at the moment because the guys are changing their messaging, you know, which I think is important and needed into that conservation and, and guardianship, whatever you want to call it of, of the, 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 earth um but yeah we just need to be careful as well because we're not glorifying one certain yeah, aspect of it you know but guys can put out um first round hits at, at on steel at a kilometer all day long do where's compilation videos of that stuff the best of have, the have, shoot you know have, have, do you guys follow that uh was it g7 precision g7 precision something rings a bell uh, um on instagram that on their stories they've got um this thing going where they would shoot a target um and you can see the bullet that trace perfectly and then they kind of ask you to comment um what do you think the distance is but I, for some reason i cannot stop watching those videos because the trace is just it's so and it's so well done you can 100 percent see how it just curls in and um, people start commenting there and they give like their little calculations. It's quite interesting. Some of the guys are pretty good at it. So more, so more trace videos, lads. We want trace videos. We want, um, I would love them nailing target shots. It's all cool. And I'll happily, it's like your video, you like your long range 22 videos, Graham. It's just like, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. But there's, mm. you know, if you just, if there was some dude taking pot shots at an animal or something in the same way, you'd be like, well, hang on a minute. That's not really yeah. what we need. Um, where I, um, where I shoot a lot of 22s, one of the ranges is uh, situated uh, west-east and there's a row of trees and as the sun shines through the trees, the light will strobe. And so you'll actually see the projectile all the way Ooh. through to the target from behind. And um, you get get the light right and you can watch the projectile all the way in, not trace the actual projectile all the way through. That's yeah, cool. I've, I've had that with the 22 as well. You can see how it punches the whole... You can see from the barrel, from the muzzle, just go right through. Because I think the sun came up behind us and yep. it was kind of reflecting on the back of the of the bullet. Hey, so you touched on, Kerry, you touched oh, on the comment from Neil from Nortrack Precision. Yes. Um, but at the end of it, it says, as well as the importance of safe glassing and spotting with binoculars and spotting scopes. Yep. So it's just interesting. Like we're talking about so I, limits on yeah so things. i guess i i read that and part of because if people don't realize you guys know this but if people listening and don't realize i do i do the practical component of firearms licensing for the police right mm -hmm. when people are applying for the license and it's something i try and explain to people as well as in um you know identify your target beyond all doubt please don't try and identify those targets through your rifle scope yeah, and the reason I'm mm. explaining that to people is that we're trying to decouple that that decision to actually take a shot or shoot at something in the identifying process. So if you're on the rifle and that's where you're identifying, where well, you're everything's getting very close before you've fully identified a, a target. So I suggest to people myself that they take even which I'll do on the weekend is in the bush with an eight times pair of binos or something, and that's how I'm identifying my target. Then switching over to the gun once I've actually done it. Um, so I'm 
thinking that's that's what he's meaning graham is that how you've taken yeah. it as well or the yeah yeah i see i've um only recently gone to using binoculars a lot when um doing pest control or hunting um mainly just that i wanted a good pair and i'd always um blow my sort of monthly budget on other things um so of all things my mum bought me short stuff. action house <laughs> yeah um who do, you know you need 20 guns yeah, yeah. Per, each year um but you mean having the <laughs> no they, they sell sows and mouses as well um <laughs> but having the binoculars also it's made spotting a lot easier so what i was doing is using my rangefinder uh it's a like a nice clear glass but not a particularly big image so uh, and then a friend also got some binoculars but the, the difference it has made just for first of all ease of spotting um <clears throat> So obviously you're going to identify your target better, but again, my hunting is not really thick bush. I don't often venture sure. um, in yep. the bush. It's more open stuff. Um, but they even cross over. So having uh, now these are Steiners. They're not really cheap binoculars. Um, having them has also worked. So a lot of time I'll go shooting precision and I'll mix in some hunting pest control just because of where I am. But I'm pushing these into a spotting role in competition now rather than uh, lugging mm -hmm. around a spotting scope. It's just one more big thing you got to carry around the hills. Um, so, And they're so slow to get on target, a spotting scope, whereas the binoculars, you just point in a direction, there you go, I'm on target. Um, obviously, Which is no why direction. you obviously need to mount a red dot on the side of your spotting scope. Can I mount a red dot on my binoculars? Yes, yes, you can. Yeah, that's some South Island can-do attitude right there. No, but it's, it's an interesting point. And, and, and from what I understand, I have, I've not met Neil, but I've talked to some people who know him, and he, he knows his stuff, apparently, when it comes to tracking and all sorts of really, really cool stuff um, and hunting. So, um, yeah, spotting. This is an interesting point, too, because I had – you mentioned it earlier, Blair, the, the whole schmozzle around the uh, target on the skyline, which wasn't on the skyline. It was just a photo. But anyway, the, one of the comments was – <laughs> One of the comments was, um, so there's a hill behind it, and then there's more hill, and then bush, private bush. Uh, so it was the ultimate backstop if everything failed, right? Like, the worst comes to worst backstop. Uh, the guy got offended by this. Um, but in day-to-day -day New Zealand bush hunting, you do not know your backstop. You mm -hmm. don't. Mm -hmm. So an untrained hunter who's just got his license will go in the bush, not be familiar with the area, shoot at an animal, hopefully that they know it's an animal. But what's behind it? Trees, yep. ferns, super Another jack, hunter. Yep. Another hunter. So, or another deer or a, 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 a dock hut. But you can't yep. see it, right? So normal New Zealand hunting breaches the firearms act instantly a lot of the time. Um so yeah knowing well what you, the, you say about yes it, it, it's uh, interesting because it's something i say is yeah it's it's you know be aware of what you're shooting and what lies behind it it, it doesn't actually say you can't right so yeah. there's a fine line right and don't anyone but it, but it will be in. used it will be used to prosecute you in court but how like, best, best like you said for, yeah exactly so 15 yeah. meters so what i rephrase that is, is right you're in the heavy bush and everything you're right you can't see i say you're responsible for the projectile from the time it leaves your barrel to the time it comes to its final resting point mm -hmm. the problem is in heavy bush you won't be able to see that but what you do need to do is one we're back to this thing of don't be spotting stuff through your scope because you're already that step too far and even if you are 
pleased with the love of God, develop some situational awareness, at least come out of that scope for a moment and look around and see what else is going on. Yeah. And yeah, bonus points. If you know that you're heading back to the hut, for example, and you are walking in the direction of the hut, no, that's not really a shot you can take. You need to get up off into the side or have that. And I think that's a big thing I push to people is for a hunting point of view is a situational awareness. It just needs to expand beyond you and that potential target that you've got of and where's your hunting mate that's that's the other one yeah. i always say it's yes. just like look around where's your where's your hunting partner so one so, thing um, that made me think of this was i was hunting recently in the pudiora forest now this is flat compared to what i'm used to right so it's heavy old forest but it's relatively flat so the streams now in taranaki you have gullies and ridges and you have creeks at the bottom they all, all work like that it's it's there's no if it's flat it was turned into a farm this is the opposite. Mm. So the creeks don't run in a straight line. They just sort of do weird things. I kept getting turned around in the bush. I wasn't used to it. I, I, I couldn't walk in a straight line, essentially. Um, but it made me think, because you start to lose sight of your mates and you have to really keep, uh, keep an eye on each other. But then, like I thought, if I do shoot at a deer, how am I going to know if I have got turned around where my friends are, first of all? Yep. And what's going to stop my bullet? Because it's so flat, whereas in Taranaki, I'm like, like it's, it's a big bloody There's going to be stuff going up and down. Kind yeah. of. Not, yeah, not as, you not, know not that perfect. there's... Yeah, yeah. But here it's not. And so I'm like, if you could you could get really unlucky and that bullet could go for 400 metres just yep. going between things. Um, it's just something I've never really heard talked about. Um, and it's just something that's um, I've been thinking about a little bit. Um, yeah. I'm not saying... it's. it's I'm it's not a risk. people off. I no, no. I, I think that's it. It's more just getting people to. I and I've got a health and safety background, right? So I talk about yeah. risk management, risk evaluation. You need to be evaluating what is my level of risk I've got presented here. What can I do to mitigate that risk? What can I reduce? Whatever it is, rather than just going, oh, bang, there's something. Oh, oh, yeah. What did I really just shoot at? So yeah, I, I don't know. I'm slowly working on. What have we done? I've done. I'm actually, funnily enough, I'm working on that article right now for Rod and Rifle, which is yeah. uh, number, Jesus, five, I think it is. You know, mm. and that that's talking about, yeah, what is beyond, you know, what might be. The, the obvious one and the easy one is the ridge line because we're all kind of like, all right, it's a ridge line. It's, it's silhouetted. We can't shoot at that. But mm. you're right, bush, all sorts of other situations. We, uh, another, another one's possums. We shoot at possums and trees. Yep. Well, since a young age, we've been encouraged to destroy possums. Um, for obvious environmental reasons, um, conservation reasons, but you yep. shoot into the air. Um, yep. But again, it's oh, I, it's like one of those grey areas where it's like, well, it's probably not the safest because at night time too, you might not know exactly where you are if you're mm. on a new property, but we need these pests destroyed. Did you, slightly tangent, did you hear the one about the guy in Hamilton, I think it was, who was shooting a twenty two in his backyard and it left his backyard, went into the neighbor's place, went through the, which is, this is a bit weird, but we'll just give it, went through the drywall, through the jib, through the wall of the house and everything, ricocheted around and hit a 70 year old man in the shoulder. No. I know the weird. Most, I know I got gun. that face. I got that face blear with the 22 and the penetration yeah. levels and ricochet, but whatever, the, whatever. Wow. But yeah, in a semi semi urban, I've got to say, um, environment. So we're we're back to at least, guys. If you're setting these target ranges up, assume that you're not always going to hit exactly where you think it is. And what is behind you? Is it a house? Then no, no, you can't do that. I'm just surprised to hear there was a shooting in Hamilton that wasn't wasn't game was related. legal yeah. legal ish. Yeah, 
normally it's you know, like nah, anyway. I, know. Um, no, I, get a, I get a feed with all these things and i i filter out the gang stuff because i'm like all right but yeah this was an interesting one because it would have it was you know I, I was thinking of the guys setting up the ranges and you know ad hoc ranges and so like, yeah i I've, i don't know i don't know all the details but from what i could read that seemed to be you know uh, yeah. highly penetrating mm-hmm. 22. We, we do a lot of high volume shooting down here, like wallabies and hares and rabbits and everything. And uh, a lot of spotlighting. And we um, we do an annual wallaby comp. I haven't, haven't been able to do it last year. But um, shoot the wallaby and you go out and collect the heads to put in for the, for the competition. And so you've got three to five guys in a ute driving around it anywhere from, I mean, 10 o'clock to three or four o'clock in the morning and you're getting on and off the trucks get collecting while while people are shooting off the other side of the truck mm. and there'll be discussions as to what we're what are, what's allowed and what's not allowed and some guys will say oh no no it's all right as long as you sh- if i'm going out to collect you're only shooting off to this angle and 99 mm. of the time if someone's not in the truck that's it Nobody's shooting. Yeah. When uh, you're there, that's it. You, you, you don't shoot. If you don't, well, I, I, I'm reminded of the I'm reminded of the guy who went out to recover the deer he'd shot while spotlighting and got a zip over the back got of the two seventy. Got got shot by his mate. Yeah. 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 Which yeah. I'm sure there's I'm sure there was complicating factors in that yeah. one. But yeah. um, but same thing, man. I I, I these days I'm kind of like. If I can't see my hunting partners or whatever it is, I, I don't. I personally don't like the idea of two guys and we go off different ways and hunt. I'm, it just makes me nervous. And if we, there has been incidences, that's where it's happened, right? Whereas at least if there's two people with you, you can turn around and reference, well, where is that guy? I, yeah, has he got past me? Especially in heavy bush. This is as I point out to people. If everyone's wearing camo from head to toe, because we all love to wear camo from head to toe in the heavy bush, well, 15 metres away, they disappear. It does a job, you know? So... We, we also regularly do drives, so you'll you'll line up five to ten people in a row, then walk down through all the Madagari and scrub, oh, yep. and um, and if you can't see the person beside you, you're on the radio trying to figure out where that person is, and nobody moves until someone can see him or know exactly where they are. And yeah, I um the one thing. The one thing I do frame these conversations with is the statistics and the numbers of incidences are at an all-time low, right? So we're doing good. They're lower than they ever yeah. have been in regards to hunter misidentification, accidental discharge, negligent discharge, shooting, whatever it is. They're, they're all-time low. So the and people go, oh, but why are you so paranoid? Or whatever you want to call about it. It's, well, we're at an all-time low, <laughs> and we now hold these standards. There might be a correlation between the two. So it's not like be shit scared of going out hunting because it's a slaughter fest out there but holding us all to accountable to these standards seems to have gotten us to this position which is a really good position to be in yeah it's not paranoid if it's true yeah and 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 there's a healthy paranoia or there's a healthy level of risk management that's going on yeah anyway uh, we, we have so, an industry that's um rather dangerous here in Turnicky in the oil industry but we have uh, sort of we we phase in and out of uh subjects that are sort of the um the hot hsc things and like you say you you have a series of hand injuries so we'll they'll go real hard on that mm. and then they get the numbers back and then we'll move on to something else and over time these old issues will creep back in again and again yep. and again um so as you were saying kerry 
we're doing really well by not shooting each other or, or, or putting people in danger with our, with our legal firearms use. Like you say, you don't want to let up the throttle on that and, yeah. and slip back and have five people shot a year and, you know, oh, that's not that bad because it's 250,000 of us. There's still five guys not going home to see their mum or their, their wife. Um, yeah, so drum at home. You definitely do the best job at this, um, the, the HSC safety side of it. And people, get, and, and people do, they go, oh, safety shit. But, man, if you fuck it up, that's not – you don't grow yeah. a new head, you know. Um, no, yeah. And what I what I want to say as well, Graham, and and um, I think that kind of ties into that the incident in Hamilton is people mistake the the damage a twenty two can do. Yeah, that's True. one of the things that I've seen time and time again. Yep. Is, um it's just a twenty two man. It's got no recoil. What it can do, but that twenty two has got um, it can kill a person very easily. Uh, and yeah. and has uh, th- this is the thing so i'm trying to i'm trying to figure out the framing of it because as i've done the the presentation sort of licensing the presentation has changed and at the moment without um I, what i'm trying to convey to people at the moment is the responsibility of firearms ownership i think it's a good message of like you you get a firearms license you've taken on a level of responsibility to be a fit and proper good person and treat it with the seriousness that it should have so that you can no longer be the angry person you can no longer be the person who gets in road rage incidences you can no longer you've got to be a higher standard than the rest of the populace because we've accepted the the responsibility of owning firearms so yeah and i mean if you're into um uh, i mean this sort of become a hunting and uh (laughs) centric sort of thing but if, if you do, are doing a lot of sports shooting and, and these sort of things, you, you then become also a, by defect, default, a, def, a sort of a ambassador to the, the game, the sport. Um, I mean, we're not at the Olympics. We just, these, these things are still ragtag organized by different sort of factions around the country, but you want to promote it well. You want to be safe and yeah, not, you don't want to get us on the news um, because we, we fuck it up, you know, like it's, um, yeah, sorry. It just takes one, it just takes one person to screw it up. And on yeah. that, um, they, well, you, you go to a match and you go and they say, oh, this person here, this is Graham. He's your RO for the day. You listen to him and what he sees goes. It's like, no, everybody that is there with firearms license is an RO. And if you see something stupid and don't say something about it, you're responsible. Mm, yeah, and if something yeah. goes wrong, and everybody on in that squad will be held accountable because you're all above responsible, and you you can't you can't say oh well that guy there he's the RO he's responsible no that's that's not and, how it works. And I would suggest because people get uncomfortable with that as a notion, right? A lot of people don't want to spit. So at the beginning of a of the the comp or anything, get your squad together and go hey. Are we all cool if we keep each other accountable? Because there may be a moment. Have we all shot? We all comfortable moving with guns and everything? Are we all good if we're we're okay if someone just has to quickly you know remind somebody? Because it it happens to the best of us. You know, it's been interesting going back through some of the videos for Tarada. Not there's major issues, but with Simon's rule of the bolt closed only when you're basically up on target. I've seen quite a few videos of myself where I'm not doing that and it's it's just habit and you then look at it and you take a step back and i see what simon's trying to achieve and you're like yeah i get it so we need to just be more aware of that you know um, simon's last video he put up of him demonstrating yep. a stage he done it twice yep he talked yep. about yep. it like it's yeah that 
the idea with it again it's uh we're, we're doing the same thing as we we run parallel with the rules um we're not all going to be perfect straight away i'm not i'm no. trying i'm trying to practice it with all my shooting now um but you still bugger it up you know oh um, so i mentioned because uh, i spotted um uh kaylin right over stateside and i watched a stage where he gets behind there flicks his safety off does a stage mm. flicks the safety on when he's fan i message him like all right what's the deal with safety usage in the comps he's like well i always use it so i'm now trying to drill myself to actually be using the safe the mechanical safety in those situations so at the moment what i'm doing a lot is pulling or, or pressing the trigger directly to the rear and it, it's been interesting because i've got the safety on because i've forgotten because i'm not used to this i'm starting to see not the flinch but what actually happens when i press those trigger and there's a few times where it doesn't go off and i'm just hauling the damn thing because i'm like go off I'm like oh 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 well i've actually got some learning to do here as well because i shouldn't be like you know anyway yeah so. um we've been talking about the yeah the the bolt closing or safety off um down here as well and all my 22 matches have always been bolt open and safety on while moving and yeah come don't close the bolt and um so what we've oh, some of the matches here what we've talked about is rifle shouldered before bolt closed so you're you're not going to shoulder the rifle with it not in the reasonably close vicinity of the target so as yeah. long as you're, as long as you're you're shouldered and head on the gun um then you're fine to close the bolt you don't necessarily have to have your eye through the scope on the target mm. uh, and it's given you a little bit a little bit of leeway um, that's mm. as, well, with the, the GPR rules um, that we're using, also that's you. You have to be looking through the scope and have the target. Your essentially your cone of fire has to be around the target, rather than with the idea being if you do some stupid reason set the gun off, it's not going to go over. It's within the cone of yeah. Uh, yeah, ear, um, ear loading, I think, is the term they use. States, yeah, and, but but we've always, but the trouble is, we've always done it until recently. Um, yeah. you know, bang, like if you're going to move, we keep it, but um, and then without, but again, you know, and we haven't had incidences, it's not a result of people sending stuff off into the air, but you're just refining and making better and making better and making better and making better, and that's yeah. the, it's the goal. Is it's if we cannot, if we can make something even safer without getting to the point, you know, of chamber flag in between each movement or something like that because it gets to the point of ridiculousness but if we can do these little changes or little behavioral changes to make things safer which is best a good idea hey if we all in front of any issues yeah 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 that's that's the whole idea of simon's i believe behind this yeah leading up to the uh, temporary range certification issues yeah so yeah so uh there's no segue here really i'm just gonna shoehorn us back into precision rifle uh 2020 2021 so um i was gonna say best gear of 2020 but to be honest gear is gear best uh lesson improvement in shooting something like that so best lesson learnt of 2020 and dirk you've been quiet so you can go first Jeez. and put you on the spot yeah i know I, in hindsight i probably should have um <laughs> okay uh, Any, anybody <laughs> shall i give you mine i've got mine go go, go all right so and it's been years of figuring it out and it, it happened so the big thing for me is getting the uh the buckstock of the rifle more medial okay because for the longest time i've had it out here in shoulder pocket and i've always had neck issues going on with the neck and i've always um 
years ago when I first put a um, uh, bubble level on the gun, I realized how cocked off the reticle looked when my gun was level. And that was probably because my head was at about a 45 degree for so long that I was constantly pushing, right? And neck issues and everything. So as I've slowly pulled this over here and I've set up my... Um, uh, XLR now I've canted it and I've found I can actually push the whole cheek rest over and everything got more and more so my neck is a lot straighter it's changed my scope setup and everything like that but obviously helped with recoil management so yeah I suppose that's been my big thing and I still get off it as well the shoulders go out but the better straighter I get the more medial I get the better I'm shooting the more I can see my impacts and the quicker I can form my second side picture and follow up or change as needed so that's been my 2020 one of them anyway that's the one i immediately thought of oh and of course graham and his 90 degree finger yoga you know that's that's been pretty good as well <laughs> uh, mine's been similar I've, I've had a big emphasis for myself on fundamentals um uh more so um there's a lot to learn my positional stuff but prone uh trigger control recall management um and, and that uh, funnel enough my results have got worse so if that speaks no no uh but but yeah just just getting that stuff squared away and um at least trying to i still bugger it up and i make mistakes but um try trying to get more consistent and similar um yeah that, that's that it's, it's, it's harping on that same drum but i've again i'm not perfect i've got so far to go but i think i am a better shooter than i was a year ago anyway on you two. Go do it. Go, go, go. Okay, go okay. I've got, I think I've got something. Um, <laughs> just make it up. Just remember. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, for me, it was more um, even if I was setting up for a stage that I would think is um, one of the easiest stages um, to keep on going through each and everything that I would go through. Um, uh, that I would do if I was going through like a um, like a tough stage, go through those mental mental little notes. Just say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Just plan the, the, the same way that I would have um, for a, a easier stage than a tough stage. Because I've seen so many times that people think, ah, this is a uh, this is one I'll just bag eight eight out of eight or ten out of ten or five out of five, and they shoot a two out of ten or two out of five. Mm. Um, and I've done that as well. Um, and um, coming back to matches because this is only 2020 was my second year um, or was the first time that I've been coming back to maybe the same venue um, like Hautapu um, and uh, not assuming that the ones that I shot well last year I'm going to shoot the same this year um, I've had yeah <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> so just 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 going through those fundamentals every single time, just going through yep. my little checklist yep. um, and and keeping concentration um, when I'm shooting matches. I like it. And practicing. Blair? Yeah. Um, re realizing that, like a lot of my a lot of my shooting and, and reloading and stuff, good enough is good enough. Like if it's. <laughs> If it's shooting under MOA, it's it's good enough for what we're doing, and and various other things. Good enough is is good enough, but positional shooting good enough is not necessarily good enough. And I do I found a few times this year that I should have just not shot that particular 
round, I should have done something else and maybe lost lost some um, time repositioned, done it properly, rather than letting a round go where I thought it was good enough and it probably wasn't. So take four or five good hits on a, on a stage rather than trying to get all eight or ten off, which I did a few few times this year, just rushing things and, and yeah. Like like um, Dirk said, just don't think don't think that you're going to get all the way through the stage. Maybe maybe just take four or five good hits. And yeah, I've done a few times this year, and I need to stop doing that. Excellent. That was some uh, powered knowledge or knowledge bombs, as our mate Frank. I want to ask one. I want to ask one question. So when you guys um, <laughs> buy new scopes. Mm. Is there any form of tracking test that you do before you actually shoot long range, like tracking tests on paper or something? Because I was thinking about building, I built a, a, a block basically with little washers and, and things that I can uh, adjust the cant and so on that I, I'm, I'm planning on taking almost all of my scopes off and then putting the rail this on. This is a Matt, and- Matt Mason special. I think it's tuned in. Which, yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to do a tracking test with all of my scopes and make sure that they actually track 100%. And if they don't, at least I know that because I feel like a, that could obviously be a major problem <laughs> if you only find out. Because I, I heard about Graham, Graham's hunting where he shot the, I don't know, it was a goat or something in the head. Um, mm. Yeah, my... Um... Probably something that we should test before... But yep. it should be like a basic thing that everyone does before they actually take a rifle. Out, well, it? and also if you test, you can allow. Yeah, there's a scale. There's a scale factor you can put into most ballistic solvers that will yes. account for it as well. Yeah, I have a rather large uh, scope. Thing would be. Yeah, no, but I got a like it's like a forty. It's a what's called a blind. It, it's what you cap off a high pressure pipe with. It weighs about fifty yep. kilos. Probably forty kilos. It's heavy, but I've got a rail mounted on that, and I can shim it up, and I just. For non-firing tracking tests, uh, I I think for for long range certainly yeah, there's a scale thing. I the thing I wonder I'm I would like to almost figure out a simple method for um, real rough and ready for every single scope because I set up a lot of rifles and I swear some scopes which should just track as you think they should track are not tracking like they should track That's and I'm not thing. even I'm not even meaning a 99.9% scale factor because we're shooting out the distance it's like I, I'm at 100 metres it needs to come an inch over to the left well I realise 100 metres 100 yards I, I know this mm. But you click it over four and it does not do what you think it should do. And you're like, this is a brand new scope, brand new everything. And you eventually, you massage it in and you know that the guy's never going to change it. So it doesn't matter. He's not dialing with this thing and it's set and you tap it and it's it's staying have, there. Have you seen the um, scope tracking test chart that Frank Yelly and his yep. offsider did? Yeah, there was a few. I think, well, I sent, I sent Sam down. I actually printed some up. So I think I, I sent Sam down some in a tube as well. Um, but yeah, I'm really, t- it's a time thing, but I'm even tempted like brand new rifle scope systems. It depends. For the, for the clients I'm setting the rifles up for where it's a hunting rig, doesn't really matter. Once it's zero to mm. zero, they're not shifting it. Good enough is good enough. 
a word is good enough is good enough and you just manually go well that didn't work two more clicks we're now centered we're happy but but other scopes you just measure it all the higher end scopes you just measure you dial them they do exactly what they you think and you're like well these are piss easy to zero my current yeah. match scope which is my uh athlon midas tac 525 that tracks perfect so it was 100 percent my my last one my pst2 was 99.5 percent or something so it just needed a couple of couple of adjustments and it only made a click of difference i think it was past 700 meters and i just i mostly ignored it it was mm. it was fine it was not going to make any difference for what we we're doing yeah because because i on my um, hunting rifle now before i shot this uh the craft daughter target um i was but point two of them all right and then i came point two of them all left and then i shot about point two of them all further than i would have thought i would have yep. maybe point three and i shot a lot of those rounds and all of them were around there and i was like yeah i don't know you get, which I'm not saying is what you, but you often, you also get guys who have decided to really clamp down on their, um, their rings. So mm. it compresses the tube. So you're going over three and it doesn't quite do what it is. I and mean, then you go four and actually clicks and goes past it. And there's, there is stuff like that. Um, yeah. which is why every time I get a rifle, I just back them off and use torque drive on them. But uh, yeah, yeah, I've got a torque wrench as well. I, I would suggest guys for hunting rigs, if they're thinking of dialing out and they're not using them regularly as if they dial out, check that when you dial back down to zero, your guns actually come back down to zero. Cause yep. I bet there's a few scopes out there that don't. So as that, Cheater in the picture started purring. That was a panther. That was a yeah. It was a panther. It was a very high country panther. Yeah, yeah it's a pretty it's agile spotted. panther. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay, so twenty twenty one as a we'll call it a roundup because we've been yakking for a good deal of time. Well done, lads. Twenty twenty one. What are you looking forward to? Can be gear, can be event, can be skill, something. What's what's twenty twenty one hold for you? Anyone first? I haven't actually thought this one through. Um, I'm looking forward to, I'm going to put together a crossover rifle. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing that and doing a couple hunter style events. What, uh, what brand is it going to be, Graham? Uh, probably, I'm maybe looking at a sour. Uh, the sour field shoot. It counts. Sour field shoot or maybe a sour. Have you considered a Remington? <laughs> no one considers Remingtons. No. <laughs> Um, I've got a Remington here, new. I woke the dogs up. Oh no! <laughs> um, no, it, it'll be something. It'll be. Uh, We've talked about this, haven't we, Graham? Oh, that's the bloody cannon for shooting yeah. nets. Yeah. Is that how going to catch those dogs? Yeah. Oh man, they don't. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, uh, and. Yeah, maybe we might look at maybe doing a small hunter's shoot uh, styled at hunting sort of guns rather than um, the new tactical beach rest shit that we have. Uh, but there's the big comps coming up. I've got my big, uh, my comp, minor marks and Simon's comp coming up. Um, yeah, and then doing some hunting this year, hopefully in the raw, maybe a helicopter trip, maybe going down south to at some point. Yeah, so plenty coming up, but. Nothing in stone. If you come down south, make sure you call and say hello then. No, nah, I'm not going down south. No, nah, I'll just I'll stay up here. 
Tell you, you, live, you live in you live in Gore. No. No. Timaru. Oh, that's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> no, that's no. I will, I will, I will come and visit you, and we can, you can take me wallaby shooting because I've never done that. Yep. So, I, I, I missed one once. That's about. Probably get some fallow too. Oh yeah, I shoot plenty of those up here. But if you want me to shoot your deer, I'll shoot your deer. That's fine. But anyway, <laughs> what what about you, Blair? What are you what are you going to do in twenty twenty one? Lots and lots of match shooting. There's, yep. We've got we've got a bunch on. Um, so the next one coming up is um, Sparrowhawks, King of the Range, which I'm going to have to miss because I'm taking the family to Wanaka. Um, so he's, yeah. they're also doing the um, the hunter match. Mm-hmm. Um, going to be quite cool. I was, I was hoping to do it. That's why I put the three to nine scope on the two sixty because I wanted to use that and go go yeah. for school. Um, so that's going to be quite cool. Um, 300 to 700 meters sort of thing. And like, if you get a first round hit, you just move on to the next one. I think is what the, what the general gist of the, of the match is going to be, you know, do it like golf. So, um, the, basically the lower shot count to get it wins. Well, not even, not even wins. It's just a, just a, just a game. It's not even a match, just a game. Um, so it'll be quite cool. And then um, I haven't organised any of the 22 matches yet. I've got to try and squeeze some dates in with what we've already got sort of set up. Mm. It should be good. But then after that, the next one is the is the Gore one, which we were going down to the Southern Precision Challenge down in Gore. Um, so that'll be the next big one. Yeah, so is, look is, is there a match in the, um, like, in Havelock somewhere, or somewhere around the Nelson area. Hamlet is what. No, Havelock. Uh, I heard there's a. Because I was just thinking. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm, I digress. I'll, I'll have a look. But I, I saw there's a South Island match on the kind of the the, the north side of the South Island somewhere. Uh, possi- I heard about it. Possibly it hasn't. I haven't. It hasn't ju- oh. jumped in front of my radar yet. But okay. I'll have a look. Yep. Uh, what I'm looking at forward to is 22, a little bit more 22 like matches and, and things like that. Um, gotten into it pretty quickly, but uh, yeah, haven't we've shot a small match at Kaitoki, um, but a, a full blown match that would be that would be pretty cool. And there's and there's a lot of people, um, who are wanting to put up 22 matches as well, um, kind of locally and so on, because obviously the range is not, you don't need a, a thousand meter range to do something like that. So you can do it at um, our local 200 meter range. So yeah, I think I think there's going to be a lot of matches in 22 popping up uh, in the future. Mm. Hmm. Oh, I should be doing another, at least another three next year. I'm hoping to, to squeeze in another three. Should be good. Yep. Uh, well, I, I've been busy. If people haven't seen it, I've been updating uh, the Precision Shooter pre- Precision Shooter site yet again, and uh, got those um, the old podcasts and hopefully new podcasts up on there to kind of play catch up with those. Um, the idea being, as I suppose, splitting the bloke and Precision Shooter out a little bit into the shooting side of things and the more outdoors and just general lifestyle through the bloke as well. Um, getting some feedback because we did the i did my first weekend course up here for the the shooting side of things which went really well and then now planning for the next one and i'm thinking of doing funnily enough there seems to be a hunting trend going on but we're going to do more hunter focused where we'll do a weekend 
but we'll have a, um, a dressing course so that we actually show them how to skin and gut the animal out, but then turn around and get their hunting rifles kind of sorted as well. And I'm thinking almost like a mini, because um, the last the last, um, the, the last uh, course we did, we basically incorporated a mini competition into it and it was a really good format for the guys. So doing like a almost steel safari where we just walk around the property and walking, 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 everyone's got their hunting rifle right. Can you spot that? That's target. You've now got 60 seconds. It's a fellow deer moving away. And then after they've shot it, everyone's taking a shot. Talk about it, you know, about mm. our ad hoc positions, how it work, and a very hunter orientated, but really incorporating a bit of that basically field steel, but um, mm. hunter orientated. Short distances, 50 meters, 100 meters. Got to figure out logistics of steel at 50 meters and stuff like that. But I don't know. And target acquisition as well. Yeah, and target ID and putting other things up there. It's like, you know, shoot the red one, but there's blue ones, there's other targets around it. Yeah, just that's things cool. to so um that'll be the big plan. And then Matt, who's listening in, he's very correct. We've got to check a couple a couple of properties to check out for some twenty two comps as well. So I've got a real oh. interest in trying to bring uh I want more hunting style events essentially. Um to shoot myself, but I I think I I don't think I I want the events I do anyway to get too far away from being practical. Yeah. Coming not say to hunting, but you know, like I find what's happening in the states has got too much, uh, especially on the flatter ranges, uh, real gimmicky, stupid shit. Like that, that has not a lot of um, gamey. Hmm. Yeah, I, and I mean it's yeah, cool. The stuff is fun, but um, to the point over there, and you, you hear a lot of people talking about it now that everything's just. You throw a bag on it and you shoot it, so there's no challenge to it. So, yeah, um, I like the idea of there being <laughs> a couple the cats back, so a couple hunting. My cat on. is absolutely hammering my angles. Okay, yeah, but because like kitten, the hunter events Sorry. in the main matches now are not getting a huge participation. Everyone wants to shoot the uh, yeah the 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 other classes because I've, I've spent the money on the guns, right? But you have toys, but everyone generally still has like a T-kill or something. So I'm thinking like, you know, five round mags, um, it'll be a weight limit. Scope, you know, whatever bloody scope you want, but it's got to come under a weight limit. Um, you know, no tactical bipods. I'm talking just like basic-ish hunting. Um, Are we talking Harris bipods? Well, yeah, you know, or, 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 but no, well, like you can you can chuck a big one on, but it's going to be detrimental yeah. to your weight. So you're going to have to surrender yeah. something, I guess, somewhere else. And maybe there'll be, I, I like the idea of having a backpack, but there'll be rules around the backpack um, to, to stop people. Gay. I don't know. I like the idea of it being like, like you say, like you're going hunting or obviously you're going to shoot more rounds. You're going to shoot 30, 40 rounds, but um, yep. you're keeping some of those core uh, hunting themed I went hunting in the weekend and I shot 90 rounds. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. But like, um, just stuff I, like that. Like like you said, the hunting thing at Sparrowhawk, 300 to 700. The, the hunter, hunter event that we have here in Taranaki Simon runs, it's like 10 metres to 350 metres. Yeah. Yeah. So they, I, I think he's putting yeah. one out at 700 just to give people a go. But the, I think the bulk of it's like three to four. Yeah. Because like for us in Taranaki, the majority of our hunting is inside 300 meters, um, yeah. and I imagine other similar regions, it's, it's a similar idea. And most hunters, it's a couple hundred meters or 100 meters. So, and I also um, see the hunter events as a way of bringing them in rather than. Question from Matt about your Milsip bolt gun comp. 
any, yes. further, any further plans on that? Yes, I actually have been talking. Uh, there is a small chance uh, we may be getting sponsored with an actual rifle to give away. Wow. And now you think, yeah. what will this be? What would that be? A Savage? <laughs> a Remington? Uh, no, no, it'll be... No, well, no. An um, infield? <laughs> Tell me you've got like an old, go go into a store or something and buy a. Tell me it's the semi auto 50 BMG. <laughs> yeah. Give away the Mardus. Mardus. Fully auto. Semi auto yeah. yeah. Sorry, it's sorry, excuse me. Jeez, come on. Um, no, uh, uh, there is, it's not confirmed, but there may be a relatively expensive, desirable Millsip uh, yes. as a spot price, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, maybe. No, not confirmed, so don't chase me if it doesn't happen. But I was, Sorry, be... complete, completely aside, I was in Gun City this week and a guy was picking up a falling block mm-hmm. 30-30 martini? 30-30? 30-odd six? Something odd like three that. 303? Could have been a 303? Mart- martinis, they sort of have a thing that goes down like that and, and the yeah, yeah falling but a big drop so yeah so we had we had five so we had with the sniders which were originally conversions of like um brown besses so, yeah sort of um sorry infield muskets not brown besses and then we went to uh the uh martini henry which is um yeah it's a it's a breech loader so you pull a lever yep. down it drops yep. it that's where this fellow was and that was five seven seven four fifty so um quite big within those got updated to 303. So they introduced the Lee Enfields, the Lee Metfords, the Lee Enfields. It's just a barrel, different barrel. Um, but we couldn't get enough of them, so we got a lot of martinis converted to 303. So you could shoot the new cartridge, um, but obviously in a single-shot form. Yeah, and then we slowly phased those out. But they were used right up, up to home guard days in the yeah. 1940s. Uh, yeah, but the Millsip shoot is happening uh, we're starting in early days of planning um, for those who shot the RTD winter shoot, which should happen again too. We're going to use the same. I think you were there, weren't you, Dirk? I can't remember. Um, we're going to use that uh, same range. This, oh, I missed that one. The COVID oh, shoot uh, after COVID. Yeah, I did, I did the previous one before that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, which is quite cool. And we're going to sort of um, we'll fuck around and dig a few holes and um, things. The beauty of a Millsurf shoot is I don't care if it's raining. Because um, it rained in the war heaps. Yeah. You know? uh, but uh, yeah, um, add to like 200 meters, you know, maybe one at three, probably not, but um, it'll be, yeah. And the t- as, as much as we like to avoid the the certain targets looking like certain things, this shoot is a military themed shoot. So it'll be military themed. Um, yep. And But you may see the grenade, Simon's grenade throw, you may see that in this shoot because. Uh, in war, you threw grenades. So, are you going to be throwing actual grenades? Uh, I have been offered some practice grenades, some of the cast iron ones, but more than likely, you'll be throwing a rock or something because yeah, okay. I don't want to lose a bunch of collectible um, grenades. <laughs> yes. Make sure you get lots of videos of people throwing because I think that could probably be quite hilarious. <laughs> um, yeah, I could do, but but yeah, it, it, it is in the works again, um, and and it could be fun because it brings people. There's there's no not a lot of competitions for these types of firearms, yep. and they are even more popular than they've ever been since um, the semi-automatic side of surplus is gone. Uh, so people are buying, like Mosin and the Gants used to be two hundred fifty bucks. Now they're going for a thousand bucks. Yeah, carbines were five hundred. Now they're two grand. So they're popular. People have them, and people want to shoot them. So it will happen, Matt. 
um, watch this space. We're back to shooting a right-handed gun. You have to. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. We're <laughs> late. The enemy at the gate. Oh, I know. Yeah, well, true. Very true. Right. Anything to add, gentlemen? No, I'm good. No, that's good. All right. I so, think everyone's uh, sick enough, sick of us tonight. We've oh, well, yeah. we did, we've done well. So, yeah, and then, <laughs> then you'll be able to... arrive for you, Kerry. What's that? I just got some more tripods arrive at... Uh, I, yes, you do. I, I did get you a message. I'm just pondering. I'm pondering. I um, <laughs> and then you just have to try it, and then you just won't see the bet. <laughs> right, I'm not. I'm persuaded of it. I'm just more looking at the bank account, really. Yeah. Um, Worry about that later. I'll be fine. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's, it's, yes, we'll sort it out. Um, so, yeah, so the the goal will be in a couple of days if I have a version out this for people listening. So if you're listening on the podcast version, thank you very much. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, we'll hopefully be back here again next week and um, see who turns up. So thanks for the lads listening in. Thank you, lads, for coming on. It's good to thank catch you. up. Good start to the year. All right, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye. Bye. Yep.